0: internet (laughs) (laughs) i'm annie (laughs) kit yeah i said i'm annie oh sorry i was laughing too hard and i couldn't hear you say that i'm kit (laughs) and i'm mac and this is i will fight you a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone cold facts since 1986 today's fact lucas what is today's fact
1: Today's fact is if your dudes rock hard enough, historical accuracy can go hang.
0: Hell yeah. <laughs>
2: Hell yeah.
0: We obviously have our producer and friend Lucas on again, except this time we're not talking about Theodore fucking Rex. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no ice skaters in love, no anthropomorphic dinosaurs. This is Dudes Rock. We're talking about the fucking 13th Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited for this. It is 8.30 in the goddamn morning. I am so excited for this. <laughs> Your boy is hyped.
0: We're doing another Beowulf, y'all. It is almost 10 at night for me. <laughs> We're doing another Beowulf. It's Beowulfs all the way down. <laughs> so this is a movie I have never seen before. I have zero experience with this. I was, in fact, shocked to find out that this was a fucking Michael Crichton novel. You bet. Yeah, it was Eaters of the Dead. (laughs) Michael Jurassic Park Crichton.
1: Jurassic Park, Sphere, the Terminal Man, the Andromeda Strain, Congo Michael Crichton.
0: (laughs) He took five minutes off from dunking on Six Flags to be like, hey, what if Beowulf? (laughs) So this was my first time, Mac. This was your first time too, right? Correct. Not my first time seeing this movie.
1: (laughs) Not my first time either.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this one is a wild one. This was one of the biggest box office bombs of 1999. Oh, yeah. And I just want to <laughs> tell you guys that, like, IMDb, on the webpage for this, under their more like this section, one of the movies they recommend is the Kevin Costner Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, so that just gives you the vibe check there. Oh, no. Yeah, that's also another, like, dude's <laughs> fucking rock movie. Yeah,
1: for real. <laughs> <laughs> no, we had this on VHS in what, would have early two thousand. Oh it would have come out, and my dad and I watched this a lot. My dad really liked this movie, and as a result, I also got to like this movie.
0: I assume this is just, like, a movie that was greenlit specifically because Jurassic Park came out and was really successful, and they were like, maybe Michael Crichton's onto things here. I
1: mean, Michael Crichton also wrote what became E.R. So he already had a bit of a pedigree at this point. This was post-Jurassic Park, Oh, of yeah. But
0: I mean, we're talking like cinematic blockbusters here.
1: And admittedly, he wrote this book out of spite, which is a great way to write a book, right?
0: <laughs> out of spite, really? <laughs> he did. Why?
1: One of his buddies did a whole talk about literary bores, about books he hated for no reason, that he thought were boring and shouldn't be taught anymore. And Michael Crichton went to this lecture, and his friend like put Beowulf dead center in the middle and said it sucks and I hate it <laughs> Michael Crichton who loves Beowulf who is with Kit on this one loves Beowulf thinks it's great <laughs> said all right well what if I can make Beowulf interesting for you and he went yeah I f-ing dare you and so he wrote a book
0: this is some like <laughs> up yours Gerard Tolkien I'm putting a lamppost in my magical fantasy land
2: shit huh I'll create my own middle worth <laughs> <laughs> that's how i would write a book honestly if someone told me i couldn't or that they didn't think i could i'd be like Fuck yeah i'm gonna do it there are so many
0: good books that are written solely basically to say oh yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> michael Crichton, who is a research monster anyone who's read any of his books knows that they are like cr- he's envied only by neil stevenson for level of cramming his research into his books
0: yeah like I mean, we're talking about like, again, this is the Jurassic Park guy. Like what you have to keep in mind is that when you watch Jurassic Park now, you have to keep in mind that like Michael Crichton put in the stuff about dinosaurs being descended from birds, which was incredibly like cutting edge paleontology at the time.
1: Plus the chaos theory stuff.
0: Plus chaos theory stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm going to MIT and I'm listening to people. Wouldn't it be cool if I put it in a book? Yeah. So what he did is he took the real guy. Ahmed Ibn Fatlan, who is a real life 10th century explorer and diplomat who went lots of places and saw a whole bunch of cool things, yet had a habit of writing in this incredibly dry and bland style. And he said, what if that guy met the Vikings who inspired Beowulf? What if I write that book? Like the first three are essentially a commentary on this guy's real trip to a essentially a Norse court. And then from there, it just becomes Beowulf. The book, doesn't rule like it's not as much fun as like a sphere or a Jurassic Park because it has a very dry and academic tone there's a bibliography that's half fake and half real oh my
0: god <laughs> yeah that was like the fascinating thing when I was doing research on this like it sounds like the book is very much like the like more historical equivalent of like the frame narrative and search for s Morgan Stern's original classic of William Goldman's the Princess Bride exactly He made up a fake bibliography. He has, like, three layers of commentary on, like, academic research. Like, it sounds fascinating to, like, construct. Made a lot of librarians very angry. I heard about that. I heard there's a lot of people pissed off about this book because of all the fake citations that enough people took seriously
1: including Michael Crichton himself, who apparently spent a month trying to find a particular book only to find that he had made it up the previous year.
2: No, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my
0: God.
1: And he was real mad about that. <laughs>
2: Holy shit. Don't worry, Michael Crichton, I did that in many an English class myself. <laughs> yeah, so
1: in 1979, they optioned the book. This was written in the 70s, by the way. They optioned the book. Nothing happened. They re-optioned it in 1997, and they attached no less than John McTiernan.
0: <laughs>
1: John McTiernan directed Predator. What? Die Hard. <laughs> what? The Hunt for Red October. What? Last Action Hero. What? And then this.
0: This? <laughs> John McTiernan knows how to make a fucking movie.
1: Yeah, but before he made Rollerball and went to jail for federal wiretapping charges and lying to the FBI. What? Because he wiretapped his own employees to see if the <gasps> studio was talking behind his back. Oh, and also his ex-wife, the CFC, was talking shit about him. What the fuck? <laughs> and then he went to jail, which is how all those stories should end. <laughs>
0: Just astonishingly good action movie director has a tremendous breakdown and goes to jail. Yeah, (laughs) Like this movie lost up to 129 million. What happened?
1: Okay, so they shot it. They shot it on location. John McTiernan shot the whole thing. It was very long and very in-depth. And test audiences hated the first cut. Oh, man. The studio brought in multiple people to recut it and re-edit it. And then finally, there were, let me say this with all enunciation, 10 months of reshoots.
0: No. On location. (laughs) No, on location. They had to get the locations back and reset that shit up.
1: Those miserable moors and forests and muddy huts and stuff. 10 months of that.
0: They probably had already, like, striked most of that set.
1: And then Disney fired John McTiernan, and Michael Crichton, the author, had to start directing the reshoots.
0: Oh, no. Yeah, I heard he's uncredited for that.
1: They had to completely change the ending, and then recut the middle of the movie to make the ending make sense. Really? They had scrapped an entire score by Graham Revel, and had Jerry Goldsmith write an entire new one.
0: Okay. So it's not even that like the movie itself was all that expensive. It was just in hell for a really long time. It just ate money. It just ate money for 10 months. They just made a whole second movie.
1: Their budget was originally $85 million, okay? It was at $100 million before principal photography was over. Oh. By the end of reshoots and promotion, they were in the hole a conservative $160 million. It made worldwide in its entire theatrical run. Oh, my God. 60 million bucks.
0: <laughs> You'll notice there should be another hundred in front of that if you wanted to break even.
1: mm
0: hmm Woofa a Also, Jared Goldsmith notable for like a lot of the Star Trek music. Nice.
1: Yeah. I mean, Ridley Scott swiped a cue from this movie and put it in Kingdom of Heaven without asking Jared Goldsmith, and they still hate each other over that 20 years later.
0: Oh, my God. Oh, love that petty shit.
1: Also, this movie made Omar Sharif quit acting for four years.
0: <laughs> How bad do
1: you have to be to make Omar Sharif quit his craft?
0: <laughs> He'd been at it for
1: so long by that point. <laughs> Dude was in Lawrence of Arabia,
0: and this was too much for him. Quick note on Omar Sharif, most famous for his role in Lawrence of Arabia, and also was a big time bridge player and had a syndicated column in the Chicago Tribune. Wow. Dudes rock dudes rock
1: (laughs) I will quote Omar Sharif's line on this it's in the Wikipedia page that's how much he slammed this movie after my small role in the 13th Warrior I said to myself let us stop this nonsense these meal tickets that we do because it pays well (laughs) I thought unless I find a stupendous film that I love that makes me want to leave home to do I will stop Bad pictures are very humiliating. It made me sick. It was terrifying to have to do the dialogue from these bad scripts to face a director who does not know what he is doing on a film so bad it is not worth exploring. And then he quit movies until 2004.
0: <laughs> so what did he come back for?
1: Monsieur Ibrahim, which was a, a French film. And yeah, it was based on a book and a play. And so sure. it was a passion project for him. But it was, yeah, he went away. He had to go away for a while.
0: <laughs> he's in this thing for like <laughs> five minutes.
1: And he's good. He's having a good time.
0: Yeah. Oh, shit.
1: So, do we want to just get into the movie? I feel like we're going to be in for a wild one on this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with the fact that, like, listen, our main character here, the titular 13th warrior, it's Antonio Banderas. And you may say to yourself, hmm, Antonio Banderas is not, uh, Middle Eastern.
1: He's a white guy from
0: Spain. <laughs> He's not Arabic. He is, in fact, Spanish. Yeah. This was the era of Hollywood where as long as someone had like a slightly darker skin tone, it was whatever.
2: <laughs> they just did not care. A slightly darker skin tone and an accent. That's all you need, right? Yeah,
0: and not even like the right accent. Yeah, he's not even doing an Arabic accent. He's just doing his regular Spanish accent in this movie. He does not give a shit. Like, you can close your eyes and you can think about puss and boots. <laughs> This is Sean Connery playing a Russian U boat captain level of not giving a shit. Exactly.
1: Or Sean Connery playing an Egyptian (laughs) who is pretending to be a Spaniard.
0: Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, God, Highlander, you've got Sean Connery, a Scotsman, pretending to be an Egyptian, pretending to be a Spaniard, and then a Frenchman pretending to be a Scotsman, pretending to be an American. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy.
1: He's from lots of places,
0: he gets around. Uh okay okay so we open
1: we open <laughs> on a viking longship Cutting through the most terrifying sea a PlayStation 1 can render.
0: Oh my god, like I like my first note is just, oh, it's that kind of CGI, huh?
1: <laughs> On the plus side, this ocean stuff is some of the very small amount of CGI in this movie. A lot of the rest of it is practical effects, and thank god for that.
2: I admit when it's the start, I just assumed this was going to lead to a logo. <laughs> oh, you thought this is the production studio thing? And I was like, where's the logo? Where's... Oh, this isn't leading to a logo.
1: Long ship productions. <laughs> Lots of Vikings are still Standing around bravely, faces to the storm, and there, clinging to the rail like an afterthought, doing his best impression of a drowned rat at low tide, is Ahmed ibn Fahlan, ibn Alabas, ibn Rashid, ibn Hamas. This, ladies and gentlemen, is your protagonist.
0: Yeah, we basically <laughs> just do a whole freaking freeze frame of like, yup, yep, that's me. <laughs> <laughs>
1: he literally says, and things were not always thus. <laughs>
0: Gosh, how did things end up like this? I guess it all started. Well, it got horny for someone's wife.
1: So it starts in what he refers to as the greatest city of the world, which is Baghdad in the 10th century, which, yeah, it probably would have been.
0: Yeah. That's a fair cop. Yeah. Fair. That's fair. Baghdad in the 10th century fucking ruled. Yeah. yeah. Baghdad was doing great. Everywhere else kind
2: of was just not so hot at the point. And he was doing great. Until he decided this lady was hot and she was already married.
1: Yeah, your boy was a poet, but he was also a bit of a f- boy.
2: Yeah. In true poet fashion, honestly. Yeah, honestly.
1: Yeah, he fucked around and as happens, found, found out.
2: out. <laughs> and
0: they were like, oh yeah, no, let's, um, you're being promoted to an ambassador. You have to leave, oh, forever? Oh, wow, that's weird.
1: <laughs> to the tussock Vlad, a.k.a. a place so far you can't find it with both hands in a map. So his only companion is Melchizedek, played by Omar Sharif, hooray, who's like a friend of his dad's.
0: Yes. It's worth also noting, uh, Antonio Banderas is very not Arabic. Omar Sharif is also like debatably Arabic. And by debatably, I mean, I'm not touching that debate with a 10 foot pole. He was born in Egypt. He was part of the Greek Christian ethnic minority in Alexandria, and then later converted to Islam.
1: He's from lots of places.
0: He's from lots of places. Also a big-time bridge player. (laughs) I can't get over that. (laughs) Good news, though. They do eventually, like, they do travel around and join a caravan, and that caravan is, in fact, led by Eric Avari.
1: AKA the, the curator of the museum and The Mummy.
0: Curator of the museum and The Mummy. He's in Independence Day. He's in Stargate, Planet of the Apes. Good, that guy. I'm glad he's here. He's, like, Indian, which is, I guess, not better? middle eastern either but
1: (laughs) i mean look if it makes you feel better only about half the vikings are actually scandinavian so we'll get to that
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know just i Uh, wouldn't worry about it it's fine
1: (laughs) they're in the caravan and oh shit! here comes some tartars who are going to kill us all and take our stuff as you do as they do and so they panic and they run and the tartars chase them and they get stuck at the edge of the river and they think it's all bad and then suddenly the tartars stop and turn tail and run because, oh, shit, Vikings are coming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they just turn around and there's a Viking longboat. Yeah, yeah. it's just there. And they're just like, mm, I don't think we're going to mess with this.
1: Yeah, we don't want none of that smoke. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 this shit. The caravan, like, plans to pack up and move on. But then Antonio's just like, but, but I'm an ambassador. I want to talk to the Northmen. <laughs>
1: He says, are they dangerous? And he says, well, it depends. They might leave us alone or they could kill us all. So it's like, depends on what they had for breakfast. How's the weather today? Is it a Tuesday? They hate Tuesdays. <laughs> Look, hey, man, have fun, I guess. And so him and Melchizedek just kind of rock up to this encampment. And they walk in like they are a couple of high school kids at a frat party.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. a way to describe it.
1: Yeah, like they literally walk in and like, be cool. Follow my lead. <laughs>
0: And so they just, like, start talking to people in, like, obviously for the film's sake, for the audience's sake, it's English. But it's understood that they are speaking in Arabic to a whole bunch of Scandinavian dudes until they find one guy who speaks Greek.
1: Oh, no, no, no. This is actually a really nice point of the movie. It's because oh, yeah. they're talking and no one's understanding. And they're getting blank stares. Um, it says, why don't you try Greek? And so Melchizedek walks up to one dude, speaks in Greek to him gets a blank stare but that one dude then walks over to another dude kicks him and says hey go sort this out (laughs) and so the other dude comes up listens for a few seconds and doesn't speak greek he switches to latin oh because he's like oh wait you're, you're educated i'm a little educated too and so he speaks to him in latin which melchizedek also speaks and he is then able to translate from old norse to latin which Melchizedek can then translate to Arabic, which I think is actually, like, they never comment on it. But if you listen, what he's saying changes, like, in that second. Because he's asking him in Greek where his king is. And you hear him say, Nostra Rex. And it's like, that's poorly pronounced Latin, but it's Latin. And it's never commented on in the movie. It's just this beautiful little touch.
0: John McTiernan does languages very interestingly. See also Hunt for Red October.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I really like the way that this sequence, like it makes the whole initial sequence with the Norsemen a little more stilted, but it also makes it a little more mysterious because it very much places you in the same role as the main characters where you're like, oh, I don't know what's going on either. I also feel like my font of information is extremely limited based on what I'm seeing and the tone in which people are speaking. So it's a really neat part of this movie.
1: Yeah, it puts me even more of a fish out of water, apart from the fact that there's essentially like a drunken party. There's fights, there's women dancing, there's music playing, people are like barfing outside. This is a rough tent to be in. And he's there (laughs) clean and beautifully dressed and looking around like he shouldn't touch anything. He's a
0: fancy lad.
1: The blonde guy, we learn his name is Herger. Herger the Joyous. He's my favorite character in this movie. He's great.
0: He's good. He's so good. Wow. Honestly, that's the first of me actually learning this guy's name. There are very few names that are firmly attached to characters, like, so that I can actually, like, anchor any kind of words to these people. I just have them in my notes
2: as blondie. I named a few of them in my head, but I wasn't sure of a lot of their names either yet.
1: Don't worry. I have a subtable in my notes.
2: Oh boy. Excellent.
1: <laughs> so Herker looks at him and he says through Melchizedek he's like, uh, "Oh yeah, our king, our king's over there, but our king won't talk to you because he's dead." Yeah, our king can't talk to you because he's dead and this is his funeral. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the old tailor can't come to the phone. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> She's dead. <laughs>
1: It's And because it, it's delivered through Melchizedek, it's done in this very... Oh, yeah. So there's the king. He says there's the king. Yeah, the king can't speak to you. Yeah, he says that the king can't speak to you. He can't speak to you because he's dead. The king can't... Oh.
0: <laughs> like, do you think he was just, like, waiting to be able to deliver that little punchline that he made up himself by being obtuse? Knowing this character? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh. say, yeah.
1: this guy 100% would. So yeah. they point to this drunken party and they say this is his funeral. Oh, and by the way, up on the, the main table, that's Bulevife. He's our Beowulf folks.
0: I could never quite like get the pronunciation of that name right. And I wasn't going to like, honestly, he's just in my notes as Beowulf. I'm not doing those degrees of separation. This is just a Beowulf, y'all. That's him. He's got dreamy hair and a glower.
1: (laughs) An extreme glower. He's an intense dude.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely got like, you know, shirtless romance novel vibes. This guy? Yeah, no, this is a guy with a sultry stare.
1: So he says he's the heir apparent, one of them. More on that in a sec. And uh, Boulevive says, hey, how about a a song of glory? And Melchizedek says, come on, man, be cool. These guys like us. Tell them a story (laughs) or something. And so Ahmed steps up and he says, in the beginning, the earth was void. And the spirit of God, and he has to stop because a dude pulls a knife on Boulevard, who blocks, cuts him once on the way up, and cuts him in half on the way down.
0: (laughs) It's great. That was the succession dispute, by the way. The succession dispute is over. (laughs) He just does a stab and then smolders at the camera again.
1: And then he sits down and he finishes his drink. Yeah. (laughs) Must be Tuesday. So... (laughs) Literally, the narration said, now that there's a new king, we have to bury the old one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So we do a whole sequence. We have them watching the Viking funeral and they do a thing here, which is interesting, I think, where they have like a young woman who is going to be burned alive with this whole pyre. But it's kind of nice that we don't have to do the whole thing for the audience, which is like, oh, but that's so barbaric. Can you really do that? You savages, you brutes. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's it's implied uh, less so in the book, but in the movie it's implied because she is speaking a prayer as she dies and they're like lifting her up. They're not restraining her in any way. It's like, no, no, I'm going with him. This is yeah. what's happening.
2: And that's actually a Viking thing where, like, like there would be, like, a seer who would be, like, lifted up to view the distance. And it was actually kind of like a prophecy thing of, like, I can see the distance. I can see this.
1: Yeah. And, like, it's one of those moments where kind of like with the switching from Greek to Latin and this, there's a few points where this movie really did its homework. And about 2,457 where it did not. <laughs> Yeah, so the prayer they say, I'll say it now, and it's going to come back a few times, and it kind of rules. Right. It's, lo, there do I see my father. Lo, there do I see my mother and my sisters and my brothers. Lo, they do call to me. They bid me take my place among them in the halls of Valhalla, where the brave may live forever. And then Melchizedek explains from Herger's translation, he said, she will travel with him. You will not see this again. It is the old way. And they burn it.
0: Ah. I do like that line. I like the line, you will not see this again, it's the old way, because there's sort of the thing about like 10th century Vikings is that this was already like a world on the way out and they knew it, which is sort of the appeal of setting a story in this particular era.
1: Yeah, and you you do get a comparison later on with some newer type Vikings with these very archaic Beowulf and his buds type Vikings. And there there will be some contrast throughout. Contrasted, of course, with Ahmed, who is from a city of civilization, who is the from potentially the most civilized city in the world at the time, who is looking at all of this and is just like, I don't know what I'm looking
0: at. Yeah, <laughs> but he definitely seems to approach it like from almost like an anthropologist perspective where he's like... I'm not necessarily here to cast judgment. I'm just here to, like, see what's going on and try to observe it as best I can. Yeah. Also, he is judging them, but he doesn't want to get stabbed. He did see Boulevived ice a guy just last (laughs) night. (laughs) (laughs) He's being polite about it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, so the next day, Ahmed wakes up and he puts on fresh clothes and a fresh turban. And as he comes out, he sees there's another ship is waiting. And there's a little boy standing on the edge of the bow and kind of hanging onto to the, the figurehead and just staring like a statue. And he looks and he goes, huh, that's uh, that's weird. Anyway, so is there breakfast? And he goes in <laughs> and he meets Melchizedek. And Herger, bless him, literally rolls over from where he was <laughs> sleeping and puts his chin on the table and is like, good morning. <laughs> And so Ahmed asked, he's like, there's a boy on the bow of that ship. He's standing there like a statue. And they ask Herger, he says, oh, he's letting us see him. He's being polite because he came out of the mist and we see spirits and dangerous things in the mist. And so he was being polite and letting us decide if he's real, which is a peek into the viewpoint of these characters. They accept the supernatural as part of their day to day. It can be annoying. It can be dangerous, but it's not weird.
0: It's just like, hello. I am a small boy. I am existent, not portentous.
1: Hmm. I'll, I'll let you decide. <laughs> so then, <laughs> so then the Vikings decide to clean up in the morning.
0: This particular passage, I believe, is directly from Ahmad Ibn Fadlan's account of the Rus' people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, Annie, you want to take this one? What happens?
0: Huh? Oh, Annie doesn't remember. I don't think. Okay.
1: The bit with the spit bucket.
0: I have a note that's about them being gross in public. I don't have much detail beyond that.
2: They like wash and then Beowulf, uh, like after he washes, he like does the thing where you like press your nostril in and you snot into it. And then they pass the bowl to Ahmed.
1: It's a clean bowl of water. And the first guy like drinks and then spits back into it. And the second guy drinks and spits back into it. And it gets to Herger and he... (laughs) Same bowl! (laughs) Same bowl. And like he puts his hands in, rubs it over his face, blows a rocket into it. And then passes it to Ahmed who like freezes for a moment.
2: Very politely passes it on.
1: And then very politely passes it on like he didn't want potatoes right now. (laughs) There's a cut line from this scene where uh, one of the other Vikings like, says to Herger, it's like, I thought Arabs were clean people. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> it's gross. Anyway, the boy's here now. They've decided he's real. And it turns out he's a messenger. He's Wolfgar, son of. You might have heard of this guy, King Rothgar. You know a Rothgar, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we all know Rothgar, right? Our buddy Rothgar. Rothgar. I mean, he had to show up here eventually. You get a Beowulf, you got to have a Rothgar. One follows the other, obviously. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and they're under attack from an ancient evil, a terror that has no name that must not be named. Also, and the name is the-
0: Grendel, but shh.
1: So every Viking looks terrified and wary, and Ahmed, who cannot understand this, kind of looks around and goes. What the hell is going on? What will scare these guys this badly? <laughs> and they ask Herger, and Herger won't even say it. He won't even discuss it. Like, he puts his hands up, and he's like, no, 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 I'm, I'm not saying anything.
0: But, you know, we're all here for <laughs> Beowulf. It's going to be something Grendel-related. We know.
1: <laughs> yeah, we saw the box. We know what's up.
0: There's like five characters in Beowulf. <laughs> One of them doesn't even have a name. It's just another character's mom.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Bullivive calls for what Melchizedek translates as the angel of death, but she's a blind oracle being led by a creepy child. She gonna roll the bones.
0: I just call her in my note. It's just like, all right, let's bring in a prophecy hag. Good <laughs> old prophecy hag.
1: We got any cool hags? Yeah, man, we got a cool hag.
0: When you got to just decide what you're doing, where you're going, you just got to keep a prophecy hag just
2: in the party, just in case. Everybody needs a prophecy hag now and again.
0: Yeah.
1: She rolls the bones and she says that, well, 13 men must go. The same as the amount of months in this year. <gasps> oh, lousy smart weather. <laughs> so Bulevvi is, of course the first one to volunteer. He does it in this very kind of like high handed regal way. I will be the first of them, and she she calls out their number, and I'll just run through the names because again, we don't get a lot of these names except for incidentally, so I've written them down who they are. uh they also have a descriptor to the point where on i m d b they're written like this guy played Heton dash fat herger dash joyous, I like, you couldn't write the come on guys.
0: No room for the the. Mm-mm.
1: These guys are in the Fat, Roneth the Rider, Egtha the Silent, Skeld the Superstitious, Week the Musician, Rethel the Archer, Halka the Wise, Higlak the Quarrelsome, Haltaf the Boy, Ragnar the Dower, Herger the Joyous, and wait. The 13th Warrior will be no Northman. And every person in the room goes quiet, and as one, they turn and they stare at Antonio Banderas, who looks... <laughs> terrified. Oh god, what what is going on?
0: It's that perfect <laughs> feeling of like everyone in the room is looking at you and you don't know what's going on. How convenient. <laughs> we just happen to have no Northmen here. Quick note, <laughs> Weath, the Musician is played by Tony Curran, who is a uh, Scottish actor who's been in a lot of- He's the Van
2: Gogh in Matt Smith, Doctor Who.
0: Oh! He's Van Gogh in that one episode of Doctor Who. He's also in, like, at least the second Underworld movie, possibly more. He's been in some good stuff. He's been in some really bad
1: stuff. He was in Blade 2. He was Priest, the first of, of Vamp Pack to get oh killed. Oh, God,
0: he was in Blade 2.
1: <laughs> yep. With those horrible little sunglasses.
2: Oh, bless. He does a lot of vampire movies. And the guy who's the silent, who the, the actor apparently did basically nothing else other than this film.
1: He's good in this, though. <laughs>
2: For some reason, I kept staring at him, and Annie got to deal with this last night. He reminds me so much of Count Rugen. <laughs> his
0: face. Okay, so that's why you messaged me asking about a character that looked like Count Rugen. <laughs> yes, that is why I messaged you about a
2: character that looked like Count Rugen. I was like, I don't know, man. I- I- <laughs> the the bald guy from Ever After. I think my brain was thinking of Count Rugen mixed with the bald guy from Ever After, like his clothes, and then Count Rugen's face. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, a pirate and guy liner. <laughs>
1: <laughs> What's funny though is that for all the yes, cuz this cuz this movie's like an hour and 33 minutes, it moves, right? But they did attempt to make all the Vikings look slightly different. Like one has short hair except for one extremely long braid on the side, and Skeld has tattoos across his like across the bridge of his nose, which much have hurt like hell, and they all dress a little differently and act a little differently, and there's really only one who's just like, "Hey, that's a tall blonde guy with straight hair and no beard and a big chin, which is kind of what you'd picture when you say, oh, that's a Viking.
0: Yeah. And that's specifically (laughs) (laughs) Boliv. There's 12 dudes who all kind of look the same. They're all going to move in a unit. It's kind of like friggin', It's the Norseman equivalent of that bit in the animated Hobbit movie where they just start singing the Misty Mountain song and suddenly all these completely identical dwarves and little pointy cloaks come out from behind the rocks. It's like, congratulations, now you have to keep track of them all. <laughs> I do like that their armor is kind of piecemeal and stuff that yeah. they very clearly taken off of people they killed. Yeah, one of them has like a conquistador's helm. One of them has like a French jousting helm or something.
1: Yeah, one guy has like one of those Roman helmets that has the cage across the front.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's all bits and pieces. Admittedly, it's incredibly anachronistic bits and pieces, but again, we'll get to that. Dudes rock. (laughs) Dudes rock. So, (laughs) the next morning, everyone's saddling up. It's just accepted that Ahmed will go.
0: Yeah, he doesn't even put up much of a fight. He's just like, well, I may as well do this now.
1: (laughs) Never follow a Viking to a second location.
0: (laughs) Is that our secondary fact? Just never go with a Viking to a secondary location.
1: Yep. He's saddling up his horse, which is a white Arabian. And I am now going to stop and allow the entire podcast to have a horse corner. I may even put in a sting.
0: Arabians are little. First off, it's not a white Arabian. It is a gray Arabian. Okay.
1: Ain't no such thing as a white horse, right?
0: Well, there is such a thing as a white horse, but they are very genetically rare. It does look to be an Arabian, or at least to have Arabian blood. Arabians are a hot blood breed that date back about 4,500 years. They're a very old breed, originate in the Arabian Peninsula, which Baghdad is just kind of barely in. But they were very much favored by the Bedouins because the Bedouins are skirmishers and the Arabian is a very small and light horse. It's about 14 to 15 hands tall. The smallest of them are technically below the threshold, by which point you're supposed to call it a pony instead, but the tallest ones are above that threshold. so they still horses. The thing about an Arabian, it has a very distinctive concave or dished face. This breed standard has gotten very silly in the past few years. <laughs> As evidenced by some links that I sent to the rest of the chat. Basically, they got some horse pugs now. Ugh. <laughs>
1: It's cursed. It's so cursed.
0: It's very bad. Google El Rey Magnum if you want to see what I'm talking about. Uh, The dished face and big nostrils of the Arabian are supposed to help it breathe in really hot environments, but I think you lose that advantage when you kink the airway by 90 degrees. (laughs) Here's the funny thing about this, though, is that the Vikings keep making fun of how small this horse is to the point that they're calling it a dog and saying only an Arab would bring a dog to war. These appear to be the group that Ahmad ibn Fahlan referred to as the Rus' which are assumed to be the Volga Vikings who are from around Sweden. These guys will be riding cold-blooded horses like the North Swedish horse or the Norwegian Ford. They are known as being small and stocky. They're basically like draft horses. The thing is that the North Swedish horse is about 14 to 15 hands tall. The Norwegian Fjord is around 13 to 14 hands tall. So overall, the Viking horses should be heavier than the Arabian, but just as short, if not shorter, these horses in this movie are too tall. They are much too tall. They look to be a draft breed from like Central Europe.
1: Yeah, they got hairy hooves and everything.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this was not a movie that was interested in being accurate about horses, aside from Arabian Little.
1: The other thing, though, there is another movie, a much, much worse movie called (laughs) Beowulf and Grendel, which has Stella Skarsgård in it.
0: Oh, you showed me videos of these horses, Lucas. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So they actually got cold-blooded Icelandic ponies or horses to be in that movie, and Watching a grown man ride one is like watching him ride a centipede. They have this super weird gait to handle the rocky and rough terrain. It's fascinating to watch.
0: The Icelandic has a special gait called a tolt. There are other cold-blooded breeds that like individuals can do the tolt, but it's not a breed standard the way it is for the Icelandic. It's meant to be something that you can ride for very long distances over very uneven terrain and not get your brains bounced out. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not give yourself a f***ing concussion sitting on the back of this horse. But the tolt is a really fascinating gait, and it's so fun to watch. Yeah, like, look up videos of this, you because it is, like, unheimlich. It is one of the weirdest f***ing things I have seen in a while.
1: It's like watching a horse do double dutch with no skipping rope.
0: Yeah, it's great.
1: So, Bolivite asks Ahmed for his name, and he gives his full name with all of his lineage and everything, to which the others look at him and they go... And he's like, no, 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 Ahmed ibn Fahalan. Ibn means son of. And they look around and they go, yeah, Ibn. He's like, oh, (laughs) Christ. All right. And as they leave, Herger walks out with like three ladies on him. And he like kisses them goodbye and he swings up onto his horse and he says something. And Melchizedek translates and it says, hurry to meet death before your place is taken. And then Melchizedek kind of says goodbye to the movie and to Ahmed, and he says, I will not forget you, go with God, and then retires from movies for five years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, you will not see Omar Sharif again in this movie. No. He's done.
1: <laughs> he hung out at craft services for a bit, you know, popped in a few sandwiches, and then he went off to play bridge.
0: Selecting a bagel. <laughs>
1: The next bit is one of my favorite scenes in this movie.
0: Yeah, this is a really interesting sequence.
1: It's a travel montage at first, and you see them crossing mountains and fields and swamps, and there's all this rugged terrain. And every once in a while, it will cut back to this campfire where all of them are, you know, preparing the nightly meal. And Ahmed is just sort of sitting off to the side because he can't speak to any of these people. And so some of them are eating –
2: Oh, he's just watching and he's listening and watching and listening and you watch him as time passes, you watch and, watch and listen more. And then slowly, there's this like really cool where sometimes the Vikings will be speaking Old Norse, but you'll start to hear words in English just scattered in there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It does this thing where it'll have them like say a phrase and then it'll cut back to like a close up on one of their mouths or something as they say the phrase again. And it'll cut back to like Ahmed's eyes, like an extreme close up where he's just sort of squinting. So like it does a good job of communicating like he is paying close attention to what they are saying.
1: Yeah. And it's also implied that like they're telling dirty jokes. They're telling old stories. They're being dudes on a camping trip. And so they're often repeating themselves. And so you'll hear repetition of the same statements. And each time there's a little bit more English in it to the point where it's like something, 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 find some geese, something, something tomorrow. And then finally, he's just listening and they're just speaking in English. It's an incredibly well done little montage. But then <laughs> the <shit> breaks bad. <laughs>
0: One of them takes a cheap shot at Ahmed thinking, oh, he doesn't speak our language. And Ahmed... Oh, no, no. Yeah, it's not a thing about taking a cheap shot. It's they telling your mama joke about him. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they said he probably was some smoke-colored camp girl that looked like that one's mother. And Ahmed clears his throat. (laughs) And he speaks incredibly specifically and clearly and measured because he wants them to know what he is saying. And he he leans forward. and And he says... My mother, and I'm gonna I'm gonna change one word, Apocryphal style, because I don't like it. Okay. But he says, my mother was a pure woman from a noble family, and I at least know who my father was, you pig-eating son of a turf. <laughs> At which point, Skel tries to kill him. <laughs> because, because you don't say that shit to a Viking without, like, a clear line of sight to an exit. It's like calling someone from Quebec a sal. You don't do that shit.
0: <laughs> I do love that the first thing he says in in the movie they're presenting is Norse. It is It is just Swedish. It, the first thing he says in Old Norse is basically, a, your mom's a hoe. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. But imagine someone who came to your office and sat quietly in a corner, like, I don't know, I think he's an auditor or something, he hangs around, and he sits there for months and months, until you finally refer to him as, ah, it's so weird, that weirdo's over there in the corner, and he basically leans forward and tells you to f*** your own face.
0: (laughs) Like the way that they cut him, like staring around the fire, it's like he squints and his eyes dart around like he's the murderer in an Agatha Christie novel. And Detective Hercule Poirot has just called everyone to join him in the parlor so they can discuss the facts of the case.
1: They hold Skeld back so he does not murder their 13th guy. And Herger (laughs) says, hey, where the hell did you learn our language? And he says in a very weird line read, I listened. And Herger thinks this is very funny.
0: (laughs) Of course he does. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's a pretty good joke. <laughs> so, Boulevard has been watching all of this very quietly, and he stops Ahmed after the dinner, and he says, can you draw sounds? Because at this point, I believe the Vikings did not have a written language.
0: They did, technically. Like, they had been writing with runes for a while at this point. But, you know, we're not really here for, like, non-anachronisms. That dudes rock. And plus, the phrase, I can draw sounds and speak them back is very, like, it's just a cool line. It reads a little bit like just a translation weirdness (laughs) in terms of,
1: like, They may not have a word for this.
0: Yeah, Ahmed doesn't quite know the distinction between the words write and draw. They do another thing, like, later with that, with another translation thing, too, that makes you, like, think about, like, oh, yeah, that's right. He is translating this from another language and trying to figure out how to speak it back.
1: And also learning it from a bunch of dudes who are not really sitting around and doing a lot of learning apart from Herger, which is lucky. And so he he leans over in the dirt and he gets a stick. And in the firelight, he writes the Shahada in the dirt. There is only one god and Muhammad is his prophet. And Bolivite glances at it and just walks away. And he's like, oh, well, okay. So the next morning, Skeld, who is clearly trying to reassert his status after getting his teeth kicked in last night. <laughs> <laughs> repeats the bring a dog to war bit, but Ahmed finishes it for him. He's like, I heard that the first time. So then the others try and support scale. They bark and they howl. And then he decides to show them what a gray Arabian can do.
0: It's a horse scene. We're here for horses now. It's horse tricks. We need to establish the horse can jump. <laughs> horse jump good. Did you know horse jump good? Horse jump good. We're going to need this later. <laughs> We will.
1: He jumps good enough that he jumps clear over Weath's horse and knocks him in the mud, which Weath finds extremely funny.
0: <laughs> I like that they're all fairly good sports about getting that kind of sh- happening to them. They're just like, all right, all right, okay, dude.
1: Yeah, as he's jumping, you can see some of them kind of nodding and smiling. It's because he can do something that we respect. And so he's one of us now. And as he comes back to join the group after showing off, he even leans over and says, hey, your dog can jump. <laughs> And they all laugh together, which we skip to the beginning. Here's how we got here. And poor drowned rat Ahmed, who's having the worst day of his life, uh, not the worst day of the next few months, leans over and he says, hey, shouldn't we be staying closer to land? And Helfton laughs and he says, no, boy, this is no day to be close to land.
0: (laughs) Which is an actual sailing thing. You want to be out on the open ocean so you don't get knocked into anything.
1: No no shoals, no reefs, no sandbars. Yeah. Then they're becalmed. They are in this mist and they cannot see anything.
0: I mean, it looks like freaking Arthur and Bedivere about to approach the castle Og.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so the way they're trying to find their way out is one guy is up on the bow and yelling Odin. And they're listening for the echo, and every time they yell, one of the Vikings will fire an arrow with fire on the end out into the distance, and they'll listen for the hiss as it hits water. It's a Norse Marco Polo. At one point, Herger has to make Abed duck, because he's about to catch an arrow upside his ear. <laughs> Situational awareness, not this guy's strength.
0: Not at all. Ahmed keeps stepping in front of guys who have arrows knocked. This is a constant thing in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: like, Please don't do that. Please don't make me shoot you. They find land... And they gear up. All the armor is wrong, but it is all very cool.
0: This is where you start to get some really good full shots of like all of the weird different piecemeal armor that is all anachronistic in fun and exciting, unique ways on each dude.
1: Bullivife has this plate-mail breastplate with these two circular kind of pauldrons that look like dragons, and they're gold chased when the rest is all kind of plain metal. It's very cool looking.
0: Weath who's played by a Scotsman does have a bit of tartan on there. <laughs> which I don't think that existed in the 10th century. I
1: I think it's about like 700 years too early.
0: A bit, yeah.
1: (laughs) But then Bolivive pulls Ahmed aside and he says, hey, speak what I draw. And he draws the Shahada, except for the last word, which he can't quite get. And Ahmed reads it out and then has to lean over and go, "Uh, prophet, you misspelled prophet. And Bolivive sort of nods and then walks away. So he memorized that from one (laughs) glance And then casually replicated it. This is, again, a sign that Bulevive is not an idiot. These guys are are barbarian types, but they are not stupid.
0: It's a neat little bit, especially because, again, it's like, it's a glowering thing. He's like, hey, check out what I can do. What's up, man? And it's also like, is this this flirting? Are they flirting? (laughs) (laughs) Little bit? Little bit?
1: I don't know. I, I could definitely ship Ahmed and Herger. Yeah. Herger throws him. Cloud Strife's Buster Sword.
0: (laughs) That's so f***ing big. It's so big for him.
1: (laughs) It's literally like six inches across. It's huge. And it nearly knocks him over when he catches it. And he says, I can't lift this. And Herger kind of shrugs and he says, so grow stronger. Get good, pal.
0: Yeah, his only piece of advice is get good. Yeah, no. <laughs> these two are boyfriends, frankly. Yeah, also Antonio Banderas is not a small guy. He's not a, a big guy, but he's not a small guy. He's five foot eight. That's an average size for a human. Yeah. <laughs> they just keep putting him next to these Scandinavian giants for the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So they do some tracking and they realize that a herald is there waiting for him because Ecto, for example, like can read the hoof prints and they can all smell that someone's been there wearing perfume, you know, a well-fed horse and all kinds of cool, like cowboy movie stuff where they look at dimples in the dirt. And then the herald just walks in because he was just there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And he's just like, hey, what's up, assholes? You're late.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Tell me your names. Make sure you're not invaders.
0: You want to die?
1: This is a brave man walking up to this group and threatening them. It would be like running through a mincing machine, my dude. <laughs> Boulevard officially identifies himself by his title. They're ushered in into a very sad mud covered Viking village.
0: Yeah, this is not defensible on the slightest.
1: <laughs> there's no wall. There's no moat. There's not even a passable fence. And you couldn't keep a cow out of this place. <laughs> But you can see the production team has gone to great and probably expensive lengths to show that this was once a nice place. There's lots of fretwork in the eaves of the buildings. That
0: yeah, the longhouse is like gorgeous on the outside. It's, yeah,
1: it's beautiful. It's just, you know, covered in three inches of mud and rain on the outside. It's gross. The Vikings noticed that there's like hardly any men. There's lots of women and children and old people, but as I said, there's nobody between 15 and 50, except for a couple of guys who we'll meet later. And yes, everyone's scared. Everyone's terrified. So let's meet Rothgar.
0: Would you believe it's an old king? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who's gone gray and can barely get out of his chair?
0: Can, what? Really? Rothgar? <laughs> yeah, just picture Peter O'Toole's character from Stardust. That's what this guy's got going on. Like, have you seen the King of Rohan?
1: The hospitality of his hall is lessened as of late. <laughs> Rothgar recognizes Bullivive from when he was a kid. And Bullivive he walks up to him and he whispers in his ear and he says, what troubles this place, old man? And Rothgar does like a comedy fear take. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, geez, we got to say It
0: <laughs> is extremely dramatic.
1: Yeah. So they cut away to Herger, who is like, this is bullshit. Are you serious? Has anybody seen one? Has anybody seen one in a hundred years? It's a Grendel. It's Grendel guys. It's, hey, it.
0: hey, you know you know how Beowulf goes? You know you know how you know how there's a Beowulf?
1: They send Ecto out to scout and they spot something in one of the fields. Actually, Ahmed spots it. And it's a little boy. He's like maybe 3 or 4 and he's covered in blood and half naked and running out of the forest at top speed and so what do they do they all ride out and Weath, in the time honored tradition of people who are not parents <laughs> grabs this traumatized child by his shoulders and shakes him and says I'll lean away from the mic for this boy speak <laughs> to me boy <laughs>
0: what <did> this <laughs> good job Weath. it's like you halfway expect there to just be a line like an airplane for people ready to be like you have to get a hold of yourself <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bullivive, bless him, says, Hey, find somebody who knows him, who he'll talk to. And then Diane Venora enters this movie.
0: Yeah, out of nowhere. I don't even think she like, she just is suddenly pushing her way past these dudes. Like, all yeah. right, boys, calm the hell down. <laughs> She's playing the queen in this movie. Incidentally, Diane Venora also played Lady Capulet in Romeo plus Juliet. Ah. <laughs> Did not play in this. You know, we'll get that. We are so close. We just need like a dragon heart connection here and then we'll be good. <laughs>
1: Yeah, she was also in like the substitute. She was—I remember her from the Jackal. She's in Heat. All of her characters, like her thing in these movies, is always she's got this like steeliness to her. She is someone you don't want to fuck with in in just about any situation you find <laughs> her in, and that continues in this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, the Jackal is notable for two things: one, Bruce Willis kisses a dude, and two, it is simply the most insane succession of terrible wigs I've seen in a single motion picture. <laughs> Oh, are, are so, the terrible it, wigs involved in the kissing? Yes. No. Well, Aww. yes. He oh. Yes, he's
1: wearing one when he kisses the dude. His hair
0: is bleached for the kissing. Oh, what a roller coaster that was. Yeah, he's wearing a terrible wig.
1: It's like one of Jack Black's early star turns along with that one episode of X-Files.
0: No kidding. Yeah.
1: So Diane Venora is here. She points out that he's from a nearby farm and they go through what I can only describe as primeval forest it's close. The trees are so close to one another, they can barely get light through. This is one of those things where if you've ever gone like bushwalking in Australia, or, you know, trail walking in Canada or somewhere like that, you hit a spot and you're just like, yeah, I'm not going through there. That's a bad spot.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're standing there and you're going, I wish there was such a thing as save points in real life. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. They all like, creep up on this place they have pressed circle so they are in crouch mode they creep up and set up and ahmed stays back with i believe it's Roneth the archer Actually you know that's wrong god damn it rethel rethel the archer i'm gonna try and keep all these names straight i'm sorry folks
0: How could you, Lucas? How could you mix up the names of these 12 different large dudes? How could you? (laughs) (laughs) Also steps in front of Rethel's bow again. (laughs) Again.
1: And Rethel has to say, don't stand in front of me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with you? He keeps doing it. Yeah, like four different times.
1: They kick the door in and there's nobody there uh, except for... All the fake blood in Hollywood and entrails and bits.
0: (laughs) It's ludicrous Gibbs. It's just Gibbs in there.
1: (laughs) Ahmed goes inside and he sees an arm sticking out from under a blanket and he lifts the blanket kind of worried what he's going to see. And the arm falls out and flops on his foot and he runs outside and yarfs a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which honestly, same dude. Mood. Understandably so. Yeah. It's got to smell awful in there, too.
1: The Vikings talk it through. He's like, there's no horse tracks. These people were on foot. There are claw marks in the ground.
0: And their heads are missing.
1: And Ahmed even says through his half mouthful of mushroom soup, they have been gnawed upon.
0: Yurg.
1: And Herger has to kind of go, well, it's said they eat the dead in a really pissy way. (laughs)
0: Hey, it's kind of the book title. It's, he's He sort of said the thing.
1: And Ahmed says, well, what kind of man would do that? And he says, it's not a man. It's a Vendel.
0: <laughs> so pissed off. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like Grendel, but, but Wendel, because, yeah.
1: Yeah, Herger has the tone of someone who has been, you know, working at a store and someone has thrown up in the bathroom. It's like, now I got to <laughs> deal with where do we keep the sawdust Ugh, I'm not even supposed to be here today.
0: <laughs> it's my day off!
1: The minute he says it, the others shush him and they say, they're still here. And we get a few shots of a shadowy figure with like a bear's head and teeth and human eyes. Yeah, there They'll are some them. good
0: like mysterious close up shots of these guys that we'll get until like the the big combat sequence coming up.
1: Yeah, Ecto brings them out and they stand on a hillside and they look at the edge of the forest and they see that all the animals are leaving the forest because presumably there are things in there. And they see like deer and other things migrating out. And they said, well, what drove them out? So again, a sign these are not stupid people. These people pay attention and they are experienced at doing what they do.
0: There is also a point before they leave the ravaged homestead where one of them comes out with this weird little lump on his sword and they're like, oh, what the hell is that? And nobody wants to touch it. And they're like, it is this headless fertility idol, you know, one of the ones with like the big fat tummy and like clearly have nursed boobs that are kind of just sort of flopping over. And it's like, and they're like, oh, it's the mother of the Wendell. I'm like, oh, I see. I see. I see. We're getting one of our other characters.
1: I looked up the actual name. It's like, it's the Venus of something. I can't pronounce the name. Yeah. But you you know the one.
0: You know a fertility idol.
1: Yeah, and Ahmed picks this up and puts it in his pocket because he's the only one who will touch it. Like, one of them is holding it on the end of his sword. Like, he doesn't want to even be near it.
0: It's like a hot potato.
1: Yeah, it's like, they don't want to touch this. So when all the animals are leaving, they specifically say, like, look, they're watching us. But if we chase in this forest, they'll melt away and... They say they come with a mist, and so Bulevvi says, "Okay, well, if there's fog, they'll come." And so they go back to second location and they get next mission briefing from Rothgar,
0: yeah, and we also have this point where Hrothgar's son is here, and we basically have like just this quick exchange where <laughs> he's the worst he's, he's the worst, the worst. <laughs> he's the worst, and he's like, oh, y'all ain't shit." And Beowulf is just like, "All right, yeah, well, will off. <laughs>
1: He says to him, he's like, oh, yeah, well, you think you're hot shit, but you've never faced the Ven. He even has a cool pet name for the enemy. Yeah. And Beowulf is like very polite because he cannot offend this man. But this man also sucks real bad. So he <laughs> says, I thank the Lord for his advice. I have not heard of his great deeds apart from the killing of his brothers, which pisses Ooh. off this guy real bad.
0: Yeah, no, there's some fighting words with this guy.
1: Okay, what was that you were saying about how kinslaying is real bad in olden times?
0: Yeah, ye olde times in a lot of ancient civilizations, kinslaying was considered not a great thing to be doing. <laughs> to the point that you could call supernatural retribution down upon yourself for doing it. You know, today yeah, so- the kids just call it cringe.
1: <laughs> it's Beowulf Chugi. Answers on the back of a postcard.
0: <laughs> oh god, kinslaying is cringe might be the hottest take on this podcast. <laughs>
1: Hrothgar explains they've been raiding for two years, and the way they know they've raided is they just stop hearing from a place. So they kill everybody. And they go to find them, and they've either been burned or just, you know, they just find blood and headless bodies. Uh, And they said there was a guy who was at Estwick who we can talk to. Also, when Bullivife insults the prince, the prince, like, starts up like he's going to fight. Boulevard, and Hrothgar like roars at him and said, these are my guests. These are guests at my table, which again, another very important thing in ancient times. Yeah. We have welcomed these people. You can't fucking kill them.
0: <laughs> that kind of etiquette really reminds me of the dagger spell books that oh, yeah. we talked about for a while that you read a lot of, Lucas.
1: Oh yeah, those Catherine Kerr books are good for that kind of shit. Yeah. Also, throughout all of this, Ahmed notices that nobody is drinking. And if nobody is drinking, that means one of two things. They're really worried or they're pregnant, and I think it's the first one.
2: Pretty
0: reasonably sure it's it's the first one.
1: Hey, you never know. So the guy from Estvik is a pretty gnarly looking guy. He's like burned over half of his body, and he's missing an eye, and he has this like massive claw mark from like the top of his head to like under his chin. Something f- this guy up real bad. He explains that they had teeth like a lion, and head like a bear, and claws that could rip plank to kindling, and they always come in the mist, and they travel on both two legs and four. They act like men and bear. Murder furries. And then he says, I saw the glow worm. It came out of the hills and it's long as a hundred ships. It's a hate from old times.
0: Yeah, the Beowulf, of course, is like the three parts of Beowulf are Grendel, Grendel's mother, and the dragon, in that order. This movie is actually doing it in reverse. We get the dragon, we get Grendel's mother, and we get Grendel.
1: Exactly. Everyone, once again, treats this as not this is a crazy old man. Treats this as, oh, shit, now we have to deal with a dragon.
0: (laughs) Ahmed has doubts
1: <laughs> they're getting ready they're staying in the hall and everyone else is hiding in the houses or going into the cellars and Rothgar screams out that he wants his armor and he will stand the watch with them and bullwife takes pity on this old man and says my lord the children will need protecting if we're all killed you'll be the only thing that can save them and saves his pride which is kind of nice <laughs> yeah because there's no way this guy could even stand up in armor
0: <laughs> this is very clearly canny move by Bolivar, which is like, A, I don't want to have to worry about this old man, but B, he's king here and I got to be able to preserve his pride and his dignity. Yeah. Therefore, hey, look after the kids, would you?
1: <laughs> yeah. And and at least Hrothgar is knowledgeable enough to go, yeah, OK, I'm not going to It's He's not reaching for the check again and again, mom. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and probably Hrothgar probably wouldn't have been able to, like, find that out either. Like, he would have just been, like, duty-bound to fight and die. But Beowulf has actually just given him just a straight-up, like, honorable out there.
1: And so they're getting ready to sleep. They're going to sleep in a circle in the middle of the hall right under the smoke hole, which is the only open spot. They shore up everything else with wood and wagons and such.
2: And, and Ahmed on is like, like we-, we can't you, sleep what? right now, right? We-, we-, we can't sleep, right? 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 It- it's there- Nobody can sleep? It's very much like it's the slumber party, like, psst, are you awake? Are you awake? I can't sleep. You can sleep? How can you sleep?
1: And Herger says a thing, which is kind of a repeated theme, which is that the Allfather wove the skein of your life long ago. Go and hide in a hole, if you wish. You won't survive an instant longer because your fate is fixed and fear profits a man nothing. Even (laughs) though it was the Norns that did that, not Odin. But you know what? Dudes rock. Don't care. (laughs) So yeah, they all sleep in a circle with their feet in the center. And Ahmed like sits up awake like he's had a bad dream. And he's immediately pulled down and realizes, oh, shit, nobody else is asleep. <laughs> They're making honk shoe noises and keeping their eyes open and their hands on their weapons because they are not stupid. So then the Vendol attack. And just as the shadows are about to come in, Ahmed whispers, I'm not a warrior. And Herger slips him a knife and says, very soon you will be, which rules.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So this fight, all of the fights in this movie, it's none of this, like, Born Identity shaky cam. Luckily, we're a few years before that. But they are chaotic and scary, and you can't really tell a lot of what's going on, especially in this one, in such a confined dark space. Yeah. And basically, these, like, bear monster things blow through one of the boarded-up windows, and then it's like a scrap at in incredibly close quarters.
0: Yeah, It's harsh because like it is a chaotic combat scene, it is hard to see and hard to make out details, but that's also thematically like on purpose in that it is meant to be like bewildering and confusing and frightening, but it's also hard to see and follow. So, like, there's no winning here. John McTiernan really wants you to be feeling what the character is feeling. And in this case, Ahmed does not know what the f*** is going on.
1: One of the Vendol comes straight at him, and he holds out his sword, and it gets kind of knocked away, and he eats a claw to the face immediately.
0: (laughs) Don't worry, he's just going to get a sexy scar out of it.
1: Such a cool guy scar, too. (laughs) So he fights back and he stabs it, at which point the Vendor walks through his sword, picks him up military press style, and chucks him into the back of the hall. And that's the end of the fight for Ahmed.
0: Like, holy shit. (laughs) That's all Ahmed gets to do.
1: They yeet him nearly out of the building. (laughs) Bye, Ahmed. Have fun. (laughs) Few of the Vikings eat it very graphically on scene. Ragnar is overwhelmed and they, like, grab him around the neck twist his head and behead him. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. Ahmed, the 12th warrior, is reclining as they drive the rest of the vendol off. <laughs> and they pull away a, a table that's over him. And the first thing Herger says is, well,
0: he didn't run. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then picks him up.
0: And what's, like, really creepy is that, like, as they're going over the battle, they're like, hey, okay, here's our corpses we definitely killed some of these guys. Where the hell are their bodies?
1: They look around and two of the Vikings are dead. And so it was Higlak. Uh, so I'm now the 11th warrior. <laughs> there's blood, but there's no bodies. And they all, like one of them pipes up and he says, I, I took two at least who couldn't have lived. And he's like, yeah, man, we all took two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, yeah, Skeld, whose sobriquet is the superstitious, he says, they're demons. And Bullivife leans over and like rubs his finger on a blood stain. He says, their blood's real enough. If it bleeds, we could kill it. <laughs> Remember what John McTiernan did Predator?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it's really only a matter of time until there's a Predators versus Vikings movie, isn't there?
1: <gasps> I, I'm sure there's a comic.
0: I mean, they, they already did Prey. We got Prey now. There's precedent for historical Predator movies now.
1: Also, we'll keep this short, but God, doesn't Prey rule so much?
0: I haven't seen Prey.
1: Oh, it's so f***ing good, Annie. That's what I hear. It's so good I was tired at the end of it. (laughs) So Ahmed is getting patched up by a lady whose name is Olga, but we never hear her name on screen. She's the blonde lady. She's pretty in an extremely tired kind of way (laughs) because everyone in this town is tired because they haven't slept in two years and people keep eating them.
0: Yeah, I like that they didn't, like, find this is a beautiful, young, haughty Viking. She's just, she just lives here. She's f***ing tired.
1: She's cleaning him up and he's like, ow! And she goes, well, you complain a lot. And he goes, ow, in a a cool, macho way. (laughs) And meanwhile, Herger in the back is picking up Ragnar's body. And he's like, come, friend, your head's gone looking for your hands.
0: (laughs) They've got a bit where, like, she's cleaning out his injury with, like, boiled down cow urine. And he's like, please get me fresh water. And she's like, "Okay, you want to tell me how to do my job? Have fun with your infected pus spewing cut.
1: He's like, all right, fine.
0: The cow urine's fine.
1: Put the filth back on me. It's fine. (laughs) Which, by the way, that's ammonia she's using. So she's disinfecting the wound. She
0: knows what she's doing.
1: So Bluevife finds a claw. He finds like a bear claw on a bit of wood, and he throws it to him. And they look look at it, and they're like, "At least there's some evidence that they were here." So, who's ready for a ditch digging and fence building montage?
0: Woohoo! Oh god, why does every Beowulf movie have a ditch digging and fence building montage?
1: It's clearly very important to whoever the hell wrote Beowulf. <laughs> it's all in the mud. All the villagers are helping. It looks tiring. It sucks. <laughs> Anyone want to do manual labor in like shin deep mud in the rain?
0: Oh, they're all just covered in slop and dirt and filth. And it's not like they really have a whole like there's lumber across the field, but they got to go get it. And uh.
1: as someone who's recently had a tree chopped down in his backyard, even little bits of wood are really heavy, <laughs> <laughs> really heavy.
0: You guys know what? what's also heavy, though? What? Viking swords.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. So Skeld sets Ahmed up chopping like poles into these steaks and he does it in like two swings with his sword, like chop, chop, do it like that. There you go. And he sets him up the way you'd like set a kid up to air quote, help put away the groceries. <laughs> like, you can put all the eggs into this bowl. You're not touching anything else. <laughs> <laughs> so he takes a big swing and he misses immediately.
0: Just whiffs it.
1: He misses again and he falls into the ditch, like into the mud, face first. He eats real bad.
0: Like a three year old failing at T ball.
1: <laughs> it's bad. And from the ditch, he yells up and he's like, Is there a metal worker here? And so he has to go over to, again, Skeld, who is pulling on like a hand crank for a grinder and has to wave at him
2: Hey! Hey! What? The boy says you're fired. I'll get him! <laughs>
1: And so there's again a montage where he's doing a lot of expressive gestures and he takes his jacket off and we get some grinding –
0: yeah, they do this whole sequence from a faraway cut, so, like, across the lot. It's like somebody just sort of watching this shit happen, so it's all, like, miming.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of Ahmed arguing with Skeld, and Skeld shaking his head like he doesn't want to do this. And Ahmed being like, no, we do it. And then there's a, an elliptical edit, and suddenly Ahmed has a shamshir, which is a beautiful, very thin scimitar. It doesn't look beautiful. You can tell it's been cut down from something else.
0: He insisted...
1: And it's a sword he can use.
0: He does little fancy sword tricks with it, even.
1: Because it's light and he can move it. And even Weath says, you give an Arab a sword and he makes a knife.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're straight up just like, oh, nice sword for a girl.
1: Yeah, he even says, if you die, can I give that to my daughter? Now, I am going to step away from the dude's rock portion of this movie as someone who has watched seven seasons of Fortune and Fire. That wouldn't work. (laughs) It wouldn't work at all. No. Swords have hard metal at the edges. You can't make a whole sword out of hardenable metal because it will be brittle and it'll break the first time you hit something. So you make the edge with hardened metal and you use milder steel towards the spine and the middle as a shock absorber. So if he cut away the whole outer edge, you've got something that is going to either bend or not hold an edge. That said, the scene does extremely rock. It does. Dudes rock.
0: (laughs) I also entirely buy that Ahmed, being a fancy lad from Baghdad, has done like the equivalent of fencing lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Later, we then cut to the blonde lady is back. Olga. Yeah, Olga, sure. And she's just here to like check on his face wound, flirt with him a little, give him some water because the fancy boy wants water. And then she's also like, yeah, the peasants don't like you because they think you'll bring a fireworm down on us. And that's when we real like hone in on the fireworm, like a like a thing that makes fire like a like a dragon dragon.
1: He even says, I do not believe in dragons. And she gives him a look that says they believe in you. (laughs) She also says the prince is telling the king that Bullwife's there to steal the kingdom and trying to, like, poison his ear. He's worm-tonguing it up.
0: Watch out
2: for that little cream of worm-tongue, dude.
1: And Ahmed's like, no, this viking that I've known for a couple of months, he seems pretty cool. He wouldn't do that.
2: Ahmed goes to Bullwife and is like, hey, they said this. And they're like, okay, that's dumb. And then they go back and forth about who should do something. Uh, We should probably do something about that. We should probably just nip this one in the bud.
1: And Herger volunteers because he's like, yeah, you shouldn't be involved. so then who wants to pick a fight (laughs) he goes down into the ditches
0: literal mudslinging y'all
1: oh it's it's so good because at first because he they pick one guy who's we name is later found out to be angus who was a very tall man who by the way is not a stunt performer is not an actor this man was an editor Really? really and they picked him because because he is that much taller than the dude who played Herger, that it would realistically be like, oh, he would tower over this dude, this already yeah. big man.
0: They just found a huge dude on set, and we're like, you want you you want to you want to fight? Grabbed the largest available man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Go get tall Angus. Cool. All right. So he's Angus is digging, and he's got his shirt off along with all the others, and Herger like pretends to accidentally dust some dirt across Angus's back as he's digging, and Angus doesn't take the bait. He's like, hey, hey, watch where you throw that. So Herger then scoops up a shovel full of mud the size of a basketball and splats Angus in the back. And Angus finally takes the bait and he says, okay, you dig like a dog. Oh, are you calling me a dog? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying you dig like one. You you throw earth around like an animal. So now I'm an animal. <laughs> It's like, you're not listening. Oh, you're saying I'm
0: deaf? It's like, okay, Joe Pesci, (laughs) calm down. It is the most guy-picking-a-fight conversation of all time. Uh Uh-huh.
1: And so finally, Herker gets in his face, and he's like, well, the reason I can't hear you is because your words are feeble and twisted as an old woman. And at which point, Angus says, all right, fine, Fuck you. I'll, I'll kill you for that.
0: That's it, yeah. Yeah, I love that they cut to, like, them getting ready for, like, a duel. Ahmed shows up and he's like, what the hell happened? And they're like, oh, it's an engineering dispute.
1: As he's sharpening his sword and looking at the three shields he has next to him. So this is a ritual combat where they each have three shields. They're swinging at one another. And if your shield breaks, you go to the next one. And when you run out of shields, that's it. And you're probably going to die. Herger walks in very confident and gets his shit rocked from the very first swing because Angus is very strong. He cuts through that shield like it was made of tinfoil.
0: And Ahmed like looks over at Beowulf like, what are you doing? Why are you letting this happen? He's going to kill him. Stop that. That might be my boyfriend. Yeah.
1: He said he could be killed. And Boaz is like, that is possible. And, And so he goes to his second shield and that gets broken too. And you actually see Herger go from confident and laughing to, ah, look, I lost my shield, to, oh, shit, to exhausted. (laughs) Because he gets a few back, but he can't really lay a glove on Angus, who is younger and faster and much, much taller.
0: And so much bigger. Like, we cannot overemphasize how large this man is.
1: Yeah, and any block that Herger does, like, knocks him to the side and tires him out. And finally, his third shield breaks, and he's standing there, and he can barely keep his eyes open, and he awaits death. And Angus looks at the shitty prince, who nods, and Angus steps in to stab Herger, and Herger pivots on one foot and cuts his f**king head off.
0: (laughs) In one move!
1: And walks away before he falls. It's awesome!
0: Yeah, 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 so it was an act, guys.
1: (laughs) And before Herger leaves the ring, he goes into his pocket and he pulls out a little pouch and he flings it at the prince and he says, see to your friend. (laughs) He was a brave man. (laughs) And walks away. Also, truth in history, because that's Wereguild, because him paying that means the prince can't officially take revenge for killing his dude.
0: Oh, that's so good, though. It's just like, all right. This is good. Cartoon's over. Bloop. It is so fun watching Herger be like the comedy character throughout so much of the movie so far. And then it turns out, no, this guy you thought was a joke, he could have killed this guy at any time. He could kill anyone at any time.
1: (laughs) Ahmed's real mad about this.
0: This dude speaks Latin. This dude is an incredible fighter. This dude's funny. He's the complete package, y'all.
1: Which is why Ahmed is so mad that his boyfriend took this stupid risk this way. He's like,
0: you fool. It's like, why would you do this? How could you do that? Didn't you think about the consequences? What would I do if you... (gasps) I said too much.
1: Doki Doki, what could this mean?
0: It's cool. I'm just writing a fanfic over here. It's fine.
1: Yeah. And Herger, who has refreshed himself by dumping an entire bucket over his head, and he says, why would you deceive him like that? And Herger says, well, deception's the point. <laughs> Any idiot can calculate strength. That dumbass, who points to the prince, has been doing it since we turned up. And the prince is so mad, by the way. He's swiping his sword at bushes as he walks away. He's so mad. <laughs> and Herger says, well,
0: quick side note. There are currently 39 works in the 13th Warrior on AO3, and 30 of them are not crossovers.
2: Huh. Wow. That's pretty good
0: does appear that most of it is Ahmed ibn Fahadlan slash Herger the Joys.
1: Yeah! Like all the way through. As well, they should be. Our boys.
0: Straight through. It's also like the same three people, but they are really committed. <laughs> Hell yeah! Yeah.
1: Bless them. They're doing the Lord's work.
0: All the way through. Spectacular. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this. I feel so validated. <laughs>
1: Herger says that deception is the point and then now this man has to calculate what he can't see and, and Ahmed finishes it and said he has to fear what he does not know, which again is – hey, they're saying the themes of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so Ahmed is bringing Ektho some food up in the watchtower and he's not there and there's a moment where Ahmed's really worried that he's going to have to do something on his own and is yelling for Ektos, like, Ekto, Ekto, are you here? And Ekto says, oh, just shut up. I'm in the tree, man. And he looks over and he's like, oh. I thought to find you in the tower. And he's like, yeah, dumbass. That's why I'm not in it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Everyone thought to find me in the tower, including the bad guys.
1: <laughs> so he feeds him and they have a bit of a chat, like some small talk. And I'm um, like, oh, it's going to rain. I can hear some thunder. And he's like, no, no, no. It's cliffs. There's these big cliffs nearby. They call them the Thunder Cliffs. And when the waves hit them, they make a big boom put a pin in that for later
0: which is definitely not going to be significant at any point in the rest of this movie that's just that's just for fun
1: here's a gun i won at auction from famed playwright <laughs> anton chekhov <laughs> perhaps i should have mentioned it earlier
0: <laughs> lucas i want to thank you for being the only other person on this show who makes beyond belief references
1: damn right <laughs> i'm going to put in the ding just for us <laughs> <laughs> All of this nice chit chat and discussion of topological landmarks that are totally not going to be important later is cut off because, oh, shit, the dragon is here.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is a serpent of fire. And by that, what they meant is that it is a long procession of cavalry in narrow file with torches. Yeah, and they're taking a switchback path down the hills since the serpent. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you could see it from miles away. That's how many of them there are. But they don't know this yet. They just go, oh, shit, they've roused the fire worm and they bolt back to town being like, oh, God, oh, God, we're (laughs) in trouble. They drop spikes down. They like wedge a wagon over the gate. And they say it's a serpent of fire. It's breathing fire. But they get set behind the defenses they've all built and locked into place. And then they realize they could see something in the field below the tower. And it's a little girl.
0: Symbol of purity and innocence, et cetera, et cetera.
1: And none of the Vikings move. And Ahmed like looks left and looks right. And he says, open the f-ing gate. And he runs for <laughs> his horse.
0: <laughs> his horse, though, it's worth remembering is very good at jumps. Yeah, they do this really cool thing where they're like, all right, all right, try to get the gates open. just Until one of them sees him riding up pell-mell on this Arabian. And the Vikings just like wait, just stop right there, wait for it. And then the horse clears the gate easily. And it's like, okay, now let's try to open it.
1: And he even repeats the same phrasing from when they were ducking the arrows. He just goes down and they drop. (laughs) (laughs) So Ahmed flies up to the field. He pulls this girl onto the back of his horse, but then he gets close enough to look into the forest and see that it is hundreds of mounted Vendol with big torches. Every single one of them has a torch.
0: The little girl who, by the way, for just half a second turns into an adult sized up woman.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Deuce Rock.
0: A quick note about the Vendel Cavalry, though.
1: Yeah, let's hear it. Horse Corner.
0: So the Vendal cavalry, at least in some shots, appear to be riding Norwegian fjord horses and other cold bloods. It does appear to be mostly other cold bloods, because fjord horses, it's hard to get like several hundred of those at a time. But the cool thing about the fjord horse is that it's notable for being a really, 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 really old breed, possibly very close in appearance and genetics to the original Eurasian wild horses. If you put this thing next to like Przewalski's horse, which is the lead, like last remaining wild horse. truly wild horse, not just feral horses that were domesticated and escaped like mustangs. There's a very distinct resemblance. So the fact that the Vendal, which in the book is revealed, are Neanderthals, are riding fjord horses is very cool.
1: Thank you for mentioning that. Because, yeah, in the books, they're Neanderthals. The movie takes that as giving them a lot of Cro-Magnon things, which, eh, dudes rock.
0: (laughs) I mean, a Neanderthal is is a different, like, it is not the same thing as Homo sapien at all.
1: Nope, not at all. But they give him a lot of Homo Sapien things, which I'll point out when we spot them. But they have wedged this gate in so tight, they've actually like dug it into the ground and they have to chop wood to get it to move. And they just barely get it open in time for Ahmed to get back. And then they have to put it back together again. (laughs) It is pretty dope. Herger says, did you see the fireworm? And Ahmed goes, well, it's cavalry. He goes, oh, I'd rather prefer a dragon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He was really wanting to fight a dragon.
1: (laughs) Oh, big monster! <laughs> <laughs> so Herger and Ahmed are sent to the north, and he's like, "Let's go, little brother. It's beginning."
0: He's got a special nickname for him.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're buds, they're bros, they're in love.
0: Yeah, just, just, just bros, just dudes being bros.
1: Yeah, so Ahmed has thrown some chainmail and some gauntlets, which fit him amazingly. Again, dudes rock. It's fine. And they come up to the ramparts, and there's silence. It's actually a really good shot as it like pulls out and out and out. And we get to see these tiny little defenses in this massive field of mist.
0: Yeah, I do really like about the soundtrack for this movie is that what the composer knew what to do was that sometimes you just want a dead f***ing silence to really emphasize like your, your certain dramatic beats. And it works really well.
1: Then this silence is broken by an enormous cloud of fire as these torches start to hit the barricades.
0: Oh, it looks, the shot is so good.
1: Oh, it's great. Because
0: it is this huge cloud of mist that is just being lit from within by, like, hundreds of torches. It is so creepy.
1: <laughs> and it's a practical effect, so it looks the shit. It looks yeah. great. And Ahmed sees this cloud, and he just mutters, he says, I'll be merciful, and then here they come. They throw torches over the ramparts and Rethel is up on the roof firing arrows. And the Wendell are using spear throwers, which anyone who read the Clan of the Cave Bear sequels knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> and <Adelope. laughs> There you go. So yeah, they're these little hook things and they throw it forward and it whiplashes the spear. And the spears themselves are like a long spike in the middle with a handle where they can be held and like an arrow tip on the end. It's very good. And they hit like, like cartoon bee stingers. They go thunk, thunk, thunk into the wood and into people. And they're thrown so fast.
0: Yeah, you can watch video demonstrations on YouTube of somebody using an atlatl to throw a spear. It's f***ing terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it is not to be messed with.
1: And they're doing this from horseback at full gallop, so add that to your momentum. <laughs> yeah, so Skeld tries to climb down and get a torch out of the thatch, and he cops four spears to the back.
0: Oh, it goes so bad for him. and rapid succession. It's just one after the other after the other after the other. It sucks <laughs> so bad. <laughs> And like deep into him too. This isn't like a cool armored up guy getting hit with a ton of arrows. This isn't freaking Toshio Mifune at the end of Throne of Blood. This is bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and again, the sound design of this, like you can hear hit like punching through him each time. It's bad. But the walls are holding against the horses. So the Vendel dismount and they just climb over and it's a melee. And Ahmed cuts one down, the very first one. He fights it and it falls. And as it falls, the bare headdress falls back and he sees... Gasp. It's a man.
0: It's a man. It's a man? It's a man. Man. It's a man. It's a man, 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 It's man. It's a man.
1: It becomes his little mantra as then he goes full sicko mode on the next one because he's not afraid anymore.
0: Yeah, Ahmed gets, like, a League of Legends kill streak for the next couple of minutes. (laughs) Yeah, there's a second where you're not totally sure if he's being like, oh my god, these are men, these are people, this is, oh, these aren't monsters at all, I'm killing a person, or if he's going like, they're only men, they can be killed, and then, like, after about, like, five seconds, it very clearly falls into the ladder.
1: One's down, and he is stabbing it. Stab, 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 stab. And he stands up, and he's got blood all over him. And he turns to see Herger, who has the biggest smile on his face. And he says, it's all right, little brother. There are more. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It's pretty good. (laughs) At which point, he points over, and there are another, like, eight guys coming at them. So they kill Venny Vendel. But the Vendal have used grapnels and they hook the wagon that they had to quickly reaffix back. And four of these horses ripped this wagon to shreds. And now the gate is open and the cavalry is inside and it's going very badly.
0: Like tissue paper. Like even just from the amount of dudes that were coming up just with torches. Like you can tell that this village is absolutely outnumbered. There is no way that anybody is getting out of this.
1: Ronith. Gets his helmet knocked off him. His cool centurion helmet gets knocked off. His response is to punch out a horse.
3: Oh my god! He mongoes go. this
1: horse. <laughs> but then, for his trouble, he gets six spears in the back. Turns around and gets three more in the chest. And uh pour one out for <laughs> for Ronith because Ahmed is now the ninth warrior. <laughs>
0: He keeps moving up.
1: Halga also gets killed very quickly. They cut away. He's run down by the horses and trampled. So... Eighth warrior. Eighth warrior. Eighth warrior. (laughs) So then some Vendal get on the roof because Rethel has been sniping them all pretty consistently with his longbow and they get up to him before he can get another arrow out and they kill him. So seventh warrior. (laughs) (laughs) So the villagers at this point decided, f*** this, I didn't like this town anyway. And they all try to run. And Skeld's running after them, screaming, fight them, and instead meets Bullivife impassive, walking the other way, and he rallies everyone to him. It's really cool. It's like that bit in Shadow of Mordor where they say, oh, by the way, your orc boss has arrived. You've killed enough <laughs> of the little guys. That the boss is here.
0: Yeah, it's very much that.
1: He gets his own drumbeat and everything, and he starts throwing out the stakes from the ditch as pikes, and Ahmed catches it. He's like, what do I do with this? And he says, you put your foot on it and you stand and they form a makeshift pike wall and the Vendol charge it and they all die. (laughs) It's very good.
0: Again, that's how you stop a cavalry charge is with a pike wall. Yeah, horses go really fast and sometimes when they're spikes, they can't always stop going fast in time.
1: After this wall of death hits the Vendol, they sound the horn and you actually see there's a leader. Of the Vendal, who's got bullhorns up and down on either side of his headdress. He looks very cool and intimidating. He would have one of those little skull things over his health meter to show he's a higher level than you guys are. <laughs> but they all listen to him and they peel out and they run through everyone to the point where Ahmed is left swinging at nothing. And then it's quiet for a sec. And then he's bumped and he turns like, don't, thinking it's one of the Vikings. And he's nearly beheaded by one of the Vendel on the way by. <laughs> <laughs> again showing just how many of them came in because it takes forever for all of them to leave. This movie does logistics of large groups of people pretty well until it doesn't.
0: Yeah, it is terrifying in this bit.
1: Half the village is on fire. Herger turns up looking like he's walked through a slaughterhouse, but he's got a horn and he's got mead and he counts the dead and he's like, Halga Roneth, and Skeld and Brethel will be joining them, so take the warrior. And he offers Ahmed a drink and Ahmed goes, ugh. I'm Muslim, man. I can't taste the fermentation of grape nor of weed, okay? And Herger just starts laughing. And he shoves the horn at him. And he's like, it's made from honey. And he walks away.
0: <laughs> Ahmed then proceeds to obey the letter, but not the spirit of the law when it comes to Muslims drinking. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, because he's had a night, y'all. He's had a fucking night. <laughs> and Olga turns up and stands next to him and she has the same kind of thousand yard stare. So I presume she's had her own movie where she's like held the door against Vendel and she <laughs> drinks too.
0: Maybe that was in like the 4-hour version of this movie that John McTiernan cut together.
1: <laughs> she gets a whole scene where she's like taking dudes out like Legolas. So I would I would watch it. She says, "We will die here." And it's not like a scared tone. She just sounds really tired. And Ahmed says, <laughs> "It is possible." And they hold hands. Oh, and hey, Who's ready for our bony and a stable cutscene? Good news. Well, we don't actually get it. They sort of kiss, and the camera cuts
0: away. Yeah, it's blinking. You'll miss it. Yeah, very, very, very faintly implied. There's a part of me that knows that like the only reason Olga is in this movie is because somebody looked at a draft of the movie without her in it and was like, "Isn't this a bit gay?"
1: <laughs> There's just the queen and the old lady at the friary.
0: Yeah, it's like, you got a prophecy hag, you got a second prophecy hag, you got a queen. It's like, look, you got a mother, you got a crone, you need a maiden. And the little girl running in the field don't count.
1: So they wake up and uh, (laughs) Um, Ahmed walks out and realizes all the remaining Vikings are just sitting around waiting for him to stop boning this girl.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I like that they're like, so how was it? And he's like, oh, a gentleman never tells.
1: And Herger says, did she finish you off or did she bring you back to life? (laughs) Egg, though, finds that there were three bodies left on the fence where one presumes the Vendol couldn't pry them off. And so they bring it out and they lift the headdress back. And now everybody's in on the secret. These are men. This is a big problem. Although Bullivive, now with his dog.
0: Yeah, you have seen some good dogs like in the background shots. But like, oh, this is this is such a good dog, y'all.
1: He's an Irish wolfhound.
0: Oh, it's a big old wolfhound. Yeah.
1: And they've dyed him red.
0: Yeah, I looked at this dog, and all like all I could think about was that bit from John dies at the end, where he does not actually know what breed of dog Molly is. So he's just like gold gold retriever dog, Irish rust hound. I don't fucking know. <laughs>
1: And the thing is, my first thought was, why would they have a wolfhound? But I've done some research. This is one of the historically accurate bits.
0: Really? do tell.
1: The Vikings were raiding into Rathlin Island off the coast of Northern Ireland. And the huge dogs were brought back as trophies, as confiscated treasure, and then bred with the local dogs. There's a bit from, dear God, is it? N.J. Njall's saga from the 13th century, which is about blood feuds in the Viking era. And the literal quote is, I want to give you three gifts, a gold bracelet, a cloak that once belonged to a king of Ireland, and a dog I was given in Ireland. He is big, and no worse follower than a sturdy man. Besides, it is part of his nature that he has a man's wit, and he will bay at every man he knows is thy foe, and never at thy friends. He can see, too, in any man's face, whether he means thee well or ill, and he will lay down his life to be true to thee." That's a good dog.
0: I want to give you some gold and a very good doggo.
1: <laughs> oh, he's so good. And I'm sure it wasn't fun because apparently the dog was like a light gray with a white blaze. And that was showing up too bright in the scenes. So they dyed him red to, because they're like, well, if we make him like a darker gray, then we won't see him because this entire world is gray. Uh, so they made him red. He's still a good boy.
0: He's still a good boy.
1: <laughs> so Bolivive says, if it's a man... It sleeps. If it sleeps, it has a lair, and we have a trail. So we're going to attack them. And Herger is like, "Are you are you serious?" But then the queen says, "We have another hag who can help." <laughs> to the secret dwarf village.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's all go see a hag. <laughs> when in doubt, when you need to move the plot along, just have a hag. <laughs> just go. Just go grab your hag. Like an entirely hag-driven plot.
1: (laughs) The first thing you must know about the wise woman is that she is wise. And the second thing you must know about her is she's a woman. Oh, you do know her then.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's a bit where she's like, this lady was old when I was a child. And they're like, ooh, that's a very good hag you've got there. Yeah,
1: and she's quite mad. And her like, oh, clearly she's the perfect advisor for us (laughs) right now.
0: (laughs) They love a prophecy hag. They can't get enough of them. I feel like they should have Rule of Three the prophecy hags. Definitely, there should have been like the Grendel mother should definitely have been a third prophecy hag. Funny, you should say yes. Speaking on that of that, later. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so they come to this lady, and she looks at them, and she, and also, yeah. By the way, when we say a village of dwarves, we mean a village of people with dwarfism, not actual like you know. There's no Mithril being mined here.
0: There's a lot of little people in this village, and also an old prophecy hag
1: who's laying by the fire sideways and staring into him. We get many good close-ups of her extremely mad face.
0: She's not even gonna, like, sit up to look at them. She's just
2: like, Hey, what's up, Beowulf? Bear dudes got you down?
1: So you got your shit kicked in, huh?
2: <laughs> what is the point of being an old prophecy hag if you can't just lie there and shout things? It's true.
1: And know people's names before they say them to you, because warrior says the wind, chieftain says the rain, met you your match with the eaters of the dead. It's very good old hag stuff. Yeah. So she asked them for a token of their enemy.
0: Oh, she's just like, hey, y'all got some of them fertility idols. And, you know, Ahmed's like, oh, yeah, right here. She's like, awesome. Go kill this.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Did you get your plot coupon from earlier in the movie? Great.
0: This is the mother of the Wen, she they revere, she is their will, she is in the earth, seek her in the earth! And then she
1: says also, beware the horns of power. You know that big dude with the skull over his health bar? Yeah, kill him too.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a plot guy. Keep an eye out for that one.
1: So they leave, and Herger at this point has become the one guy who is like, do we have a plan? <laughs> ice plan is, well, we ride till we find them and we kill them all. Solid plan.
0: You know, as you do. Look, you already went to go see the prophecy hag. She told you what she got to do, so now you just got to sort of pick a direction. This is like playing Dawn of War as the orcs. Your only strategy should be more orc.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So they leave, and as they leave, like, Olga reaches out and, like, touches Ame's leg as he leans, but she won't look at him because she figures he's going to die. And as they leave, there's like a two shot of her in the deep background with her back to him and him in the front. And he looks like he's about to look back and then he doesn't. It's actually really good. It's really lovely composition. Yeah. Reminder, occasionally, good looking movie.
0: Yeah. I mean, John McTernan knows how to make a fucking movie. Yeah. I think I read that like Ebert, when reviewing this movie, he did not care for it. He was like, it just sort of moves us from one beautiful set piece to another. But with a mm-hmm. really thin plot. And it's like, yeah, that's fair, my man.
1: How I like life. <laughs> they find a trail because they realize that apart from around the villages, the Vendal don't actually fear them. And so they don't actually hide their movements. And they get to a camp and they find cave bear skulls. They're specifically cave bear skulls. They're way too big to be like a grizzly bear or a black bear. So they look at this and they go, huh, that's ominous, right? Burger <laughs> even says the dog doesn't approve. <laughs>
0: And Ahmad, at some point, like, when he's looking at these, he's like, oh, I get it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no, they're like, so they're men, but they're also bears and they want to be bears. They're kind of like, they're really, really intense bear role players, but not like that kind (laughs) of bear, like the, like the grr kind of bear. Well, also the grr kind of bear, but like the animal. (laughs) And like, if they're going to do that, they're going to like really LARP these bears. Where do you find a bear?
1: Yeah, how do you hunt him?
0: In the winter. I don't think we needed this much thought to get from seeker in the earth to they live in caves. It's true. I don't think we needed this specific progression of realizations to get here. (laughs) It's like he's going into his mind palace to come up with an incredible (laughs) solution. It's the most obvious thing in the world.
1: They drink meat made of honey. Honey comes from bees. Bee for bear.
0: see oh. for Catwoman.
1: Yeah, exactly. So Eggsog comes back and he's like, I've got their encampment. And Boulevive spins and he's like, is there a cave? And yes, there is a cave behind a waterfall. And once again, they hit O to have their stealth attack. They kill off a straggler. They wear his bear head and walk across the bridge. And a guard can say, aren't you a little short for a vendal?" He gets a knife in the ear. <laughs>
0: And they might be a little tall for a vendal, actually. Good point. Excellent.
1: At this point, they dump their armor because, as anyone who has played a character named Jillianna knows, clank, clank, bad for stealth. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Helfton. Helfton hangs onto his breastplate and even says, you'd have to kiss me to get this off, dearie.
0: I mean, we can make that happen.
1: <laughs> he is a big, hairy dude. <laughs> also a bear. <laughs> Any Helfton in that fanfic?
0: Bear recognized bear.
1: <laughs> so they have a Far Cry Primal stealth mission where they have to stealth their way through the caves further and further down away from the campfires of these clearly cave folks with cave paintings and body paint. And they're just kind of hanging out, being cave people. As they go, they get deeper and deeper into the earth. And they're it's starting to dawn on them that, oh, shit, we might not be able to find our way out of this place.
0: This is the problem I have with The Descent. You don't need to put monsters in the cave. The cave is scary all on its own.
1: Caves are extremely scary.
2: The cave will kill you all on its own. (laughs) Yeah! Yeah, um, honestly, whenever I'm watching The Descent, it's always like, I'm always super into it when it's just, oh, shit, we got lost in the cave and now it's like, there's a cave in that we don't know how to get out. This is a whole big thing. We could try to do it, but we might die. And then they add the monster and I'm like, it's a creature feature now. And it's just jump scares. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the cave
0: is perfectly capable of killing you all on its own. You don't need a monster in the cave.
2: So
1: they get to a giant Venus statue near the bottom of this cave and it's like 20 feet tall and they look down and the floor is literally all bones.
0: Explicitly human bones. Like there's a whole bunch of human skulls and stuff. And Amon's like, you know, I take it back. I know I said that it's its a man a lot, but you know what? I, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure they are actually.
1: Ain't no dude. (laughs) These dudes do
0: not, in fact, rock.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Then there's a sequence, which is one of those things where it doesn't translate super impressive on film. But it's one of those ones where looking at it, and I'm sure the planning and logistics of it, were very dangerous and very hairy. Which is that they have to, they've hooked a rope onto one of the stalactites. They have to swing across a cliff through a waterfall to land on the other side, then slide down and swim from the bottom.
0: Yeah. And like, let's be clear here. We are talking about like a stalactite here, not a stalagmite. This is something that could just slip off of this rock formation and just fall straight down.
1: And this is not a nylon climbing rope. This is a hairy rope with like strings coming off it that is soaking wet because it's been through the waterfall. And you're hanging on with just your hands.
0: Speaking of which, this is the sequence where it's like, ah, yes, Beowulf has to dive under the water to go find the cave where Grendel's mother is. So we we had to have a water thing here somewhere. This is it. This is our water thing and we're making a big deal out of it.
1: Um, Ahmed is hanging on to the rock wall and is like looking terrified as you would and he looks up at Herger and he mutters and he says I do not enjoy heights and Herger just pushes him. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: And, like, it is a really tense scene. They do a good job of, like, cutting back to, like, all of these, like, Wendelmen that are just, like, right over there that could just look up and see them. And they're pretty much just counting on the waterfall to mask all of this noise that they're making.
1: Clank, clank, etc. Yeah. They find the Mother's Chamber, and there's all these Wendel who are chanting in a trance. And they're about one shy of their check for their stealth attack. Because they kill just about all of them, but then three make a huge racket and oh shit, now everyone knows we're here.
0: Yeah, they get some really good surprise attacks on these guys.
1: So they all pull their swords and hold the entrance because it's a tiny little cave, you can't really get past them. They all work together to buy Boulevive time to go down into the tunnel to fight the mother because Beowulf has to go alone to beat Grendel's mother, right?
0: Obviously. Yeah, obviously. This is just how the story goes. There can't just be another dude there. That'd be stupid.
1: It's not Beowulf and Herger, his friend. Come on. (laughs) Beowulf and Bob. (laughs) He comes down. He's attacked by an acolyte who he kills without looking at him in a really cool move. Oh, it is
0: so good.
1: Like He cuts him in the middle and then stands there as the guy falls. And then we meet the mother of the Vendal. Who wants to describe the mother?
0: All right. So, you know, a gross lady, (laughs) you know, like a gross lady, it's a gross lady, but she's also like young. She's looking good. She's looking good for being like a horrible cannibal priestess bear lady. Also, she was originally supposed to be an old hag.
1: (laughs) Originally, this was meant to be like a lady in her 70s that he just finds kind of asleep and covered in snakes.
0: Yeah, she, she's got a snake. She's just There's just a snake down here.
1: It's a mud snake. It's meant to look yeah. like a coral snake, which are crazy poisonous. And she's also got like, you know how when you were a kid, you would get to make those garlands of popcorn to put on Christmas trees? It's that, <laughs> but it's human teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all wrapped through her hair and around her neck. And it's gnarly.
0: It's a great look, actually. Michael Creighton, while doing the reshoots, was like, isn't it a bit mean to be killing a seven-year-old woman in her bed? <laughs>
1: So instead, we get this young lady who we see dip this little claw thing into a puddle of what is clearly black inky venom. Mm -hmm. The only way we could know it was more poisonous is if it was green bubbling and smoking. (laughs) (laughs) And she comes for Bulevife and she nearly gets him.
0: Yeah, they do a good fight here, but oh, and like, this is cool, but man, what if it was a prophecy hag though? (laughs)
1: We could have had the third prophecy hag.
0: We could have had three prophecy hags. And like, look, every movie, just the quality of the movie is directly related to the amount of prophecy hags in said movie.
2: Have an old prophecy hag, like, using weird tricks like smoke and stuff to make it extra spooky as she fights back.
0: Yeah, I've played Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I know, how to, I know how an old prophecy hag fights.
1: Or have her, like, dose him with something, and so he's not sure if she's real, and, yeah, I've played a Far Cry Cryer, too. <laughs> but but she does get him.
0: She does get a good swipe on his arm. Like, they make a point of, like, she cuts deep with that poison claw there. Yeah, they linger on it.
1: So she sticks Beowulf with this claw, and he spins and he cuts her head off. And that's the end of The Mother of the Vandal.
0: It's a good spin. Yeah, I, I'm very grateful that they didn't linger too long on this fight.
1: <laughs> the doom music plays and the angle dutches as Beowulf looks at his arm where she cut him. We cut back to the Viking still holding off the Vendal and he comes out and he, look, he has a thousand yard stare and Herger's like, is it done? And he goes, it is done. And he looks like he's about to fall over dead. He knows he's doomed.
0: I like how like this is very clearly like he knows he's doomed, but also like he might feel a little bit f- about killing this priestess lady?
1: It might have just gone bad for him. Maybe I'm the bad. Wait, are we the baddies? Yeah, am I the baddie? <laughs> they find a passage leading down because he looks up and he he sees the crowd of Vendel they're holding off and he's like, so it would be a hard fight to get clear of this place, right? They're like, yeah.
0: Yeah, we should not just go back the way we came, huh? We can't just do that.
1: Weath finds a passageway leading down with water running down it and they reason that we can follow the water. It'll get out somewhere. Don't do that in caves, folks. It doesn't work.
0: Oh, no. No, don't go cave. Don't do this. Don't do caving. No. (laughs) The cave will kill you. Cave will kill you.
1: Cave, don't give a shit about you. So Helfden, in the midst of their escape, catches a big old club straight onto his breastplate. And Kit, you want to say something about the differences between piercing damage and crushing damage?
0: Yeah, that's basically the whole reason (laughs) that crushing weapons and bludgeoning weapons were used against guys in armor. If you can't pierce it with a blade, you can just turn everything underneath it into marinara sauce.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so Helston takes a hit, like, directly in the middle of his breastplate, which doesn't flex, which means that the entirety of that hit was transferred to, you know, his chest and lungs and stuff.
0: Yeah, you know, you know, you know how the cyber truck is supposed to be completely (laughs) impenetrable and it won't get crushed? Folks, car crush so you don't. Yeah. Yeah, so his ribs look like aquarium gravel right now, and his lungs are stew beef. Yeah, Yeah. it's not great. (laughs) It's bad.
1: (laughs) He's spitting blood, and they start to run down this passage, and he very clearly cannot keep up. And he stops, and he sits down, and he does some cool guy shit, because he looks at Ahmed, and he says, I think I've run about as far as I care to. And then he spits blood, and he laughs, and he says, this was a good day, my boy.
0: And Ahmed's like, yeah, it was a good day.
1: And he leaves him. For a second, uh, Herger's like, Helfton, where is he? And Amet just shakes his head and they keep running. He buys them time. And it's very cool.
0: Fifth warrior. Fifth Mm -hmm.
1: warrior, indeed. (laughs) So then they're running and Herger says the stupidest thing one can say apart from, well, at least it can't get any worse. Because he says, we'll keep following it. It'll have to come out somewhere.
0: Oh, no, no.
1: And they hit a wall. (laughs)
0: Oh, they shoot this so claustrophobically, too. Like, it's really tight and you see, like, these narrow bits that they are struggling to get through sometimes. And I hate it so much. And now they hit the end. They had a wall and it's like, oh, God, no, you're going to do the thing, aren't you? You're going to do the thing that terrifies me.
1: <laughs> like they're sitting there and they're like, all right, well, this is it then. And they don't get sad about it. They just start planning. They're like, all right, so we fight in twos to hold the door. Gives the other pair a chance to rest. Uh, It's fine. And then Weith hears this noise and he laughs and he says, oh, make it worse. Now it's going to rain. And Ahmed goes into his mind palace again.
0: (laughs) He's like, wait a minute. It's rain. Rain. Thunder. Rain. Surf. Thunder. Thunder. Surf. Surf. Thunder cliffs, thunder cats? No.
1: No, thunder cliff, the first one. And egg though is like th- waves make thunder. The thunder cliffs, and they look at it and they're like, okay, so if we go under the stream, no. this will in this no. will appear. No, in
0: <laughs> no, come no. You d- no.
1: <laughs> and and everyone's like, uh, do we swim or we die trying? Do we chance it? And we get the equivalent of, oh please, chance it. So <laughs> they dump. All of whatever heavy things they have left, they only heat their swords and they all dive into this water. And as they're taking deep breaths, Herker says, well, here's the thing. If they don't follow us, we know it's too far to swim and then shoves Ahmed (laughs) under the water.
0: God, it's like, it's like, oh my God, look, just the stories about people that have died while cave diving. It's like, if that did not actually come out, if these characters did not survive, it would have been better to just be slaughtered by cannibals. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been a much better death. Oh, my God, I hate this so much.
1: Yeah, it's dark and they're, they're whipping by rocks and banging off things. And oh, it's very it's very claustrophobic and scary.
0: <laughs> but luckily, luckily, this is a movie and our and at least some of our characters do have to survive.
1: They escape our literal nightmare.
0: They do escape. They're, they do get back out into the surface. They do actually breathe again instead of dying horribly, clawing their nails into the stone above them. Oh, God.
1: Yeah, and they head back to the village, and it's very clear that Bullivive is dying. Ahmed's really upset about this, and Herger's trying to be, you know, fatalistic again. He's like, his skin is tied. It was settled long ago. Even Bullivive is like, You wear that long face for me. And Ahmed's like, I can't help it. You guys are my buds. And my boyfriend. (laughs) At which point, Bolivive looks at his hands and he says, I have only these hands. I will die a pauper. And Hrothgar puts his hand on him and says, you will be buried as a king, which is the one good thing that Hrothgar does in this damn movie.
0: That's true. (laughs) Basically the only thing he does in this movie.
1: (laughs) Bolivive kind of weakly says, a man might be thought wealthy. If someone were to draw the story of his deeds, so they may be remembered. And he looks at Ahmed like, you're going to do this for me, right?
0: <laughs> it's like, hint, hint.
1: Get a pen. <laughs> and then Ahmed kind of nods and he says, such a man might be thought wealthy indeed. Nice. But also he's like, I am dying. Get a pen. Let me." So I was born a small Viking child.
0: <laughs> <laughs> at five years old, I was born without a face.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Ahmed's fretting. And Herger says, you should rest. They're attacking tonight. And I'm. I'm like, no, 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 no. We killed the lady. We did the thing. They're not coming back.
0: Yeah, movie's over. Movie's over, right? Movie's over, right? <laughs>
1: no, no, we got the lady. We didn't get the dude in the fancy hat. So they'll be back. And he's just in the middle of saying, I don't think tonight there will be fog. And he doesn't get to say fog because the horns have started. And they're here already. The fog <laughs> we are this mad we are skipping our pre-game ritual we are just coming to kill you all <laughs> and we even gets to say oh kill the mother she said kill the leader <laughs> and they'll break she said
0: <laughs> prophecy hags they still didn't kill the guy with the skull over his health bar nope nope that quest tracker is still incomplete
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is it now it starts raining and everyone's scared and miserable And we says, I wish we had Boulevive. And Herger's like, it's a small matter. One guy is really not going to change this.
0: But then.
1: (laughs) Everyone's told to prepare themselves. And we get one of my other favorite scenes in this movie.
0: Oh, it's so good. Takes
1: a moment. And he takes a breath and he drops his shoes and his sword and his armor. And he kneels to pray. He says, merciful father, I have squandered my days with plans of many things. And then he takes a beat and he says, this was not among them. <laughs> but in this moment, I beg only to live the next few minutes well. And we cut to the queen who with Olga is putting the kids in the cellar and gives knives to Olga and says, when the time comes, you don't let them be taken because Diane Venora is raw as hell.
0: Yeah, that is dope as shit. Do you think that Ahmed had a moment of calculation where he is like, where the fuck is Mecca? <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> They kind of look in, like, you think, okay, I'm facing this way, and then...
0: Sun's over there, but oh god, we're really far north. He did a mind palace again.
1: (laughs) Also, by the way, when Queen Wheelow gives knives to Olga and says, when the time comes, don't let them be taken, because of that line, pop the champagne, ladies and gentle-thems, we have passed the Bechdel test.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Finally, two women who have names are talking, and they're talking about slaughtering children as a mercy kill. (laughs) It counts. It counts. Counts.
1: (laughs) Ring the bell. Ahmed is now, he's done his prayer, but he's still praying. And this bit is like my favorite bit of this prayer. He's putting on his chainmail and his gauntlets and settling his sword. And what he is saying is about the most non-denominational prayer I've ever heard that is as true as anything, which is for all we ought to have thought and have not thought. For all we ought to have said and have not said. For all we ought to have done but have not done. I pray thee, God, for forgiveness. It's good shit. (laughs) but then
0: but then uh, oh
1: Bulevife appears
0: he just staggers he staggers up he's not even wearing armor
1: he's got a blanket around his shoulders and his dog is with him because best
0: dog (laughs) that is a very good dog it's a good dog it's a very good dog the sword is trailing behind him and he just staggers up takes his place on the front line and nobody says a goddamn thing against him and then
2: Bullwife begins to say, Lo, there do I see my father.
0: Yeah, because like the, the fucking, the Grendel guy is here. He's pointing his club directly at Beowulf and Beowulf just stares back like, Lo, do I see my father? Fuck!
1: You want some? Come get some.
2: And all of the Vikings take up that prayer too. Yeah, and they start saying it line by line. And Ahmed does too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Where the brave may live, and he says it quietly to himself, Forever and then it's f***ing on
0: Hell yes
1: It rules, it's
0: so good It's so good It's like if you watch any part of this movie Watch that bit on YouTube Yeah
1: So it's a bloody melee The Vikings are going straight for the horses They kill so many horses in this fight <laughs> <laughs> The dog gets an environment kill He pins a vandal to one of the spikes And chews his throat out It rules It's
0: a very good dog <laughs>
1: and the leader goes straight for Bullvife, who cuts him the f*** off his horse. He hits him, and the air ram goes the other way, and that stunt guy goes. <laughs> 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 but then, he goes to hit the leader on the ground, and he is cut from all sides by passing riders one at a time, like, whack, whack. Like he's fighting through this to get to him. And he strikes again, yes. but the sword bounces off the bone plate. And I think what we're getting here is this is a deconstruction of all the mystical aspects of the vendol They can take a sword because they have bone plate. That You can't kill one because the others will pull you off. And he is single-handedly cutting his way through every bit of those until he stabs a person on the ground, not a monster.
0: It is so heroic.
1: It's good shit.
0: It's good shit, it's badass.
1: And he stabs him and the leader screams and the Vendal all leave. They drop what they're doing.
0: I, I love that it is just an instant retreat. Like, that is such, like, a mythic thing. They're just like, oh, oh, he's dead. Oh, he's dead. Let's go. Let's, yeah, no, you know what? I don't need this, actually. But, see ya. Killed the guy, quest over. Yeah, quest <laughs> over.
1: The horn sounds 400 XP. You have gained one <laughs> Vendal head, two bare asses, <laughs>
0: Darth Vader throws the Emperor down a shaft, and suddenly on Coruscant, seat of the Empire, they're like, "Yeah, party!"
1: Unknown if Vikings know the words to Yubnub. <laughs> Where did you learn our language? Manatuto, mekemeto. I listened. Bolivar drags himself back to the battlements. He sits down. He plants his sword, and he dies.
0: Like, he sits like he is at a throne, like his legs splayed. He, he looks like he is seated at the height of his power.
1: It's great. The dog sits by his side and gives a little whine, and as the last Vendol is clearing the field, it falls off its horse and then is left there by the others because the spell is broken now.
0: Yeah, they don't take their dead anymore. Ugh.
1: And so, th- the evil has been defeated. <laughs> What is the line? Annie, you know it. Kyoko it's like, thing. now
0: Kimiko will live in this happy frog. <laughs> now Kimiko's spirit will live in this happy frog. Or Kyoko? I think it's Kyoko. Now Kyoko's spirit will live in this happy frog.
1: It's, it's Kyoko. Kimiko is <laughs> Kimiko is my partner.
0: Now the Vendol spirit will live in this happy dog.
1: <laughs> and Beowulf, because we could just call him that at this point, he gets his king's funeral. He's burned the old way. Ugh. And And so the fourth warrior... <laughs> now prepares his, his satchel and Herger is waving him off and praying for his safe travels and he says, "Uh, who are you going to pray to? He's like, well, you've got one god, we've got a lot. Look, tell you what, I'll pray to all of them. Don't be offended, okay?
0: <laughs> We're going to hedge our bets here, bud. <laughs> and he's like, goodbye, Arab. And then we cut to Ahmad who just very softly is like, goodbye, Northman, my boyfriend. <laughs> The love of my life.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so we get this lovely, this ending thing, which I've written down. Across seas of monsters and forests of demons we traveled. Praise be to Allah, the merciful and compassionate. May his blessing be upon pagan men who loved other gods, who shared their food and shed their blood, that his servant, Ahmed ibn Fahlan, might become a man and a useful servant of God. Credits. (laughs) what a fucking movie
0: I assume that that's a line directly f- from the manuscript
1: that's usually how those sort of things are ended it's always with a salutation of the author yes
0: yeah and there we go
1: I'm tired that's a good movie
0: <laughs> yeah you covered like nine pages of notes in two hours dude yeah shit man
1: nine A4 single spaced pages of notes
0: this is how you know our editor has come on for an episode because he wants to keep this shit rolling
1: <laughs> Yep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah he's the one who's gotta edit this afterwards <laughs>
1: I had a Uniball Isigno pen that I used to write this whole thing. It was empty by the end.
0: (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) It can be hard to use up a whole-ass Uniball. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, so what do y'all think? Uh, I am correct. The movie was fine for me when I was watching it, but I enjoy it a lot more now after we've (laughs) talked about it. Dudes rock.
1: Mac, what about you?
2: I liked it a lot. Like I said, like I was, I was super into it. I'm just here being sleepy. <laughs>
0: That's fine. That's the movie. So I guess it's time for us to move into our final facts. Kit, what's your final fact? Horse too big. Horse too big. Horse too big. Horse too big.
1: But horse jump good.
0: Big big horse. Horse too big.
1: Dog jump good.
2: <laughs> Mac, what's your final fact? Lo, there do I see my father? Lo, there <laughs> do I see my mother and my sisters and my brothers? Lo, there do I see the line of my people back to the beginning? Lo, they do call to me. They bid me take my place among them in the halls of Valhalla, for the brave
3: may live forever. Forever.
2: Annie, what's your final fact? Don't go cave diving! (laughs) Don't do it! (laughs) It's bad!
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it'll come out somewhere, but it won't.
0: (laughs) It probably won't! Bet you it won't. There's nothing beyond this point worth dying for. <laughs> <laughs> no guarantee. Caves don't work like that. They don't have a sense of narrative or logic. They just <laughs> stop. <sighs> Lucas, what's your final fact?
1: When I was young, my father gave me a piece of advice. He said, there's three things you got to remember. Look both ways before you cross the street. Don't pick a fight with a ballet dancer. Not a joke. They will kick your ass.
2: They will kick your ass they're strong as fuck <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly that, and think thing is he was not joking when he said that yeah they will wreck your whole shit and the third thing is if you're gonna call a viking a pig eating son of a turf have an exit strategy
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh shit that's good damn that's advice to live by shit
1: it's one to grow on
0: it's advice to live by <laughs> All right, Lucas, thanks so much for coming on today and talking about this Beowulf with us. Where can people find you on the internet?
1: On Al Gore's internet, if you want to see some of my wacky adventures. I'm still on that thing that we're calling Twitter that looks a bit like Twitter, but isn't Twitter. (laughs) find me at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D. You can also find me on Instagram where I'm posting cute pictures of my kid and my dog and also film photography stuff that I'm doing more often now uh, as I've actually yeah. gotten out to a developer now. I do have a podcast that has not been on extended hiatus. If you do want to go back and listen to The Math of You, you can do that, which is just The Math of You, exactly as it sounds. It has been about a year and a half or more since an episode because panini, global panini. Y'all.
0: Ah, but it's got such a good archive, though. You have so many like great interviews with lots of fun people.
1: There you go. So yeah, it's about formative media from when we were young. I talked to lots of cool folks, including every person on this call at the moment. Uh, So that's where you can find me. Oh, also, I edit this show. I produce this show.
0: (laughs) This one. Yes. Be sure to check out this show.
1: I also edit a few other podcasts. I edit Apocrypals with Chris Sims and Benito Serino. I produce The Next Wrestling Fan with Megan Bob and Miles Schneiderman and now Chris Newton, which is a pro-wrestling show. I also edit Himbology, which is my friends Ginger and Andy, who are studying himbos and how they appear in the history in a very fun way.
0: I think that's all of them right now.
1: Yeah, there's a lot. I edit a lot of podcasts. I still keep podcasts in my heart all year round. (laughs)
0: Definitely go check out Lucas's work on other stuff. He is has been a great editor for I Will Fight You, continues to be such, and he does great work on those other shows as well. That is going to do it for the 13th Warrior. We're very happy that you have absolutely been convinced at this point that dudes rock.
2: Dudes rock. Dudes rock.
0: <laughs> is the is long and short of it. <laughs> Join us next time and we'll be talking about Juon on versus The Grudge. The Grudge-Off. The Grudge-Off. No, no, that sounds too... That No, that sounds like a weird sex thing. I'm not calling it that. Never mind. It does sound like a weird sex thing.
2: Grudge 3,
1: the regrudging.
0: The regrudging. All right, we're going to do a regrudgeoning. Uh, in the meantime, I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks. You can find it wherever you download podcasts. It is edited by Lucas Brown, whom you may know from this episode.
2: hey who's, who's Lucas?
0: Him. Who is Lucas?
1: I've been here the whole time. <laughs>
0: That's the guy. (laughs) It's him. That's the guy.
1: (laughs) Hello there. Do I see my producer?
0: (laughs) If you would like to support us, you can do that just with a like or a comment or subscribe wherever you find us. You know, reach out. One of us is probably monitoring some feed or other. If you want to give us money, you can do that at patreon.com slash the gem jam for just a dollar a month. You can get early episodes of I Will Fight You. We have show notes at our behind the scenes tier at five and at everything else. There's lots of cool stuff for our other shows, Damien Dammit and Gem Jammer as well. If you want to find us on the Internet, our website is crookedrussiancam.horse or crookedrussiancam.gay, but not gay horse. That domain doesn't exist yet. Yet.
2: Yet.
1: Wait, how big is the horse? Is it like a small horse or like a big horse?
0: It's as big as it needs to be in its heart. (laughs) (laughs) It's specifically in Icelandic. The important thing is that it's very gay. We're also on Twitter. You know, it's still there at CRC Podcasts. You can find us at a couple other social media sites at the moment as well.
1: Special thanks to Astrovex for their use of Dvorak Symphony No. 9 from the New World, arranged for electric guitar. You can find them at youtube.com slash astrovex, A-S-T-R-A-V-E-X. They're available for voice work as well as composition. And also, how good is that song?
0: Join us next time for, for the re <laughs> Until then, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And I'm Lucas. And we have fought you.
1: FOREVER! (laughs) Side note, I watched that new Avatar movie in an empty theater, and it involved three of my least favorite things, wailing, drowning fear, and child endangerment. I did not have a good time. (laughs) Oh, no. Usually three of those things at once. Ah, they go into like a dead battleship, and they're like, the sections are being closed off behind them as they're like in an air pocket, and I'm like clinging to the edge of my seat like, please stop doing this, James Cameron. You like the water. Nobody else likes the water. (laughs) Jimmy
0: just can't get enough of being underwater. He loves underwater. It's his favorite place.
1: Loves being chilly, that man.